You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Jerry Conway, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, this is the Epic Marvel Podcast, and this is Tomb of Dracula, Episode 1, covering a period of Tomb of Dracula from 1972 to 1973. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your Tomb of Dracula host, Josh Tan. This is Josh's first time on the show. Uh, Glad to have you here, Josh. Yeah, thanks. Longtime uh, follower of the podcast and uh, the Facebook group. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is exciting stuff. Now we're talking about Tomb of Dracula, and this is not an epic collection. For those of you who follow the podcast, we usually talk about um, we usually pick an epic collection to talk about and base our whole episode around that. But in this case, uh, we're going with something different because it's October. It's Halloween. <laughs> and so what better book to talk about than the monster book? I totally agree with you on that. This is um, right up the alley of this time of year. And uh, Marvel definitely delivers with uh, some of the frights and uh, creepy stuff. So it, it's interesting that this book is its labeled a complete collection and not an epic collection, even though it's pretty much exactly the same thing. Yeah, it's, what is it, clocking in 500 pages plus the usual bonus material at the end, like the epics give us. Uh, the only yep. thing it's probably lacking, aside from the trade dress, is a official table of contents. Right. I would have loved to have a table of contents in this. I don't know why the epics do, but the other books don't. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I've always preferred a table of contents. I mean, they even threw those in the old Marvel Essentials and I don't know, it just helps you keep your place, kind of. Yeah, or if I want to find a particular issue right off the bat, yep. like I don't have to try to find the title page to know if I'm in the right issue. Well, and especially with something like this particular collection, because unless you you know are really good at paying attention, some of these issues kind of blend right into the next, kind of how Silver Age Hulk was, where it was always to be hulk inued. Yeah, right. Uh, This is kind of the same way where, you know, a lot of the story flows right into the next issue. So, yeah, table of contents would have been nice, but it's a a very minor gripe. I mean, it's it's a well-put-together collection for sure. Mm -hmm. It even uses the same sort of paper. The restoration looks the same. Yep, and it currently, I think, is out of print. I couldn't find it in the normal places. Yeah, when I went to buy this... About a year ago, it was out of print, I think. So it's been out of print for a while. Oh, and wow. I, th- I think uh, some, I don't know if it's had a second printing already or if they've just found more, Diamond found more copies and released those out. And this was an interesting time for Marvel as well because the comic code was just kind of loosening up, right? Yes. After uh, what Stan did, those three anti-drug issues of uh, Spider-Man. That had no code uh, on the cover. Yep, he, he ran them anyway because he felt it was an important story to tell. I think the, the 
code started to get looked at a little bit with how stringent they were on certain, you know, things weren't allowed, such as werewolves and vampires and things of that nature. Yeah, so as soon as they as soon as soon they revised the code, there was a flood of these books, especially from Marvel, that came. Tomb of Dracula, Werewolf by Night, Monster of Frankenstein, a couple of different continuing horror anthology stories. Like, they... Mm-hmm. This is... And this is mainstay stuff from the golden age of comics. Well, this, I think also because uh, Warren publications were getting big at this time, and uh, those were being sold as black and white magazines, obviously, so they were hitting a different market, um, and they were being able to be published without the code, but they were all dealing with horror and, and those types of themes. So I, I know Stan from what I've read, wanted to very much get into that market, hence all the black and white Marvel magazines also of this time. But this was also hitting in, um, you know, the satanic panic of the 70s. You know, just that kind of cultural zeitgeist of every, you know, the exorcist and everybody getting Ouija boards and all that crazy stuff. Yeah, it's so interesting how it fits. Like, I I didn't even realize that, but you're right. All of this is exactly that time. Uh, yeah. It's... It's all it, it all it was all hitting the hammer horror films were huge, yep. um, you know, bringing back a lot of these these old things and yeah, it was uh, you know Amityville horror, you know the real life hauntings, the omen. Like, I mean, it was just yes, the, they were all over the place at this point, and that was just a big huge resurgence of this stuff because like you said, this was this was popular once upon a time in the, the 30s and 40s, and then it kind of went away for a while. So this collection. What are we going to be talking about in this episode? Well, this particular collection collects more than what we're actually covering. Uh, We have Tomb of Dracula, the regular series, issues 1 through 15. And these complete collections are also reprinting the black and white magazine uh, around the same time that was called Dracula Lives. Yeah. Uh, This particular collection collects just the first four of that. Um... And, and not even multi- the entire magazine. It only picks out right. the Dracula-related stories. Right. And they, they, correct me if I'm wrong, are telling stories of his earlier days, considering he has 500 years of history prior yeah. to this. So I really love how they do this. So D- Tomb of Dracula is the color comic book, and it deals with Dracula being, well, resurrected, I guess, uh, in modern day, modern day 1970s. Mm-hmm. And that's the adventures of Dracula today. And the Dracula Lives magazine is all of the adventures that he's dealt with in the past 500 years of his life. Uh, so very, very cool to to have a difference between the two. Um, the, the magazine also, because it's a magazine, doesn't follow the comic code at all. Right. Like it doesn't have to adhere to that. Not that the right. the comic had to adhere to that either, but... It didn't, so it was more mature. There's a lot more mature content in the magazine, and part of me thinks that is why this is not an epic collection. Yeah, that's probably a good call on that, because I, I was, you know, Marvel's been pumping out a lot of these complete collections that, you know, many of us on the boards are, I wonder why this wasn't just slapped with the epic trade dress, but you're probably right. It, it's it's probably trying to market more towards the mainstream kind of superhero fare because that stuff is relatively harmless yep. in compared to this stuff uh, you know, along with Werewolf by Night and Man-Thing and Son of Satan eh, it gets a little little on edge sometimes yeah 
yeah, I can see they're definitely keeping the Epic Collection to be more more friendly. This one has a parental advisory warning on the back of it. Um, oh, I didn't even notice that before. Yep. There's one Epic Collection that has a parental advisory warning on the back. Do you know which one it is? Hmm. Is it a Moon Knight? Nope. <laughs> what one is it? It's the Wolverine volume that has the most current material in it called Blood Debt. That that also has the Origin miniseries. Ah, uh, okay. That makes sense then. Yeah, yep. cuz that gets the, the Origin miniseries gets a little uh little bloody there. Yeah. Okay, so we decided uh when we were talking about doing this episode that I would really like to have the Tomb of Dracula episodes that we do just be Tomb of Dracula. So we are not going to cover the Dracula Lives magazine stories. We're going to save that for a, an actual Dracula Lives episode. So Yeah, that'll be that'll be cool because they have uh well we're up to 3 collections now and they're going to be kind of sprinkling those in throughout as they release these. And of course, fingers crossed, you know, they release the whole series like this. Yeah. I, I think by the time we get to the complete collection volume four, all of the Dracula Lives uh, issues will be reprinted. So uh, we'll be okay. able to kind of fly right through those. I asked on Facebook a Twitter poll uh, because uh, so the artist in this volume is Gene Colan. In fact, he stays on Tomb of Dracula for. Is he on for all the entire run? I think he is. Uh, I guess we should probably also tell the audience that both you and I are discovering this for the first time, really, uh, as yes. they're releasing these. Um, so you're going to get uh, that viewpoint of modern comics fans reading what is considered a cult classic yep. uh, amongst comic collectors. So... I'm thinking Gene Colan was on it for the whole run. Um, I guess I would say I hope he is because his work is perfect for this with setting the mood and everything else. Um, so hopefully. You know what? I'm just going to quickly look that up right now because that's a question that we should definitely know the answer to. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, yeah, he was. Gene Colan and Tom Palmer right to the very end there. Oh, um, wow. What a, what a team. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right. So this actually relates to my Twitter question, which is, who is the best inker for Gene Colan's Tomb of Dracula? And I said that there isn't really a contest in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Here are the options. My options were Gene Colan himself, Tom Palmer, or other. Leave a comment. <laughs> What's your view on this? Well, I wanted to write in Vince Coletta. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, uh, you you got to go with Tom Palmer. I mean, Gene Colan, if, and I'm sure you have, anybody has seen just his pencils. I mean, it, it's a shame there wasn't a way you could just take his pencils and put them right on the page because they're so murky and sh shady and everything else that I think it's tough as an inker to try and capture what Gene was doing, um, such a unique talent. Uh, but I think Tom Palmer does a great job, as he usually does. Um, I know he likes to use that uh, like zipatone a lot, and yep. I think I think that technique helps make certain things pop um, on the page, which. You know, that's obviously something that with Gene Colan constantly working with all the different uh, shades and, uh, and murkiness and, and what have you. Um, 
But yeah, so I would I would definitely have to agree. There, there's no contest. It would have to be Tom Palmer, and clearly the powers that be agreed with that if they stayed on for the full seventy. They did, yeah. Tom, Tom, and Gene were on for like almost the entire run. Now, I also said Tom Palmer because Tom Palmer inflects uh, so much of his own personal inking style into his work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter who he's doing it, whether it be you know John Buscema or whatever. It's mm-hmm. there. It's such a distinct style, and he brings a distinct style to Gene Colan's art as well. So you have Gene's incredible layouts, his very dynamic use of panel arrangements, and yes. and his use of a posture, and definitely his use of shadows because Gene's a master at shadows. He really is. Even just a shadow on someone's face can be tricky yep. uh, for an artist, and and Gene just lived in that. I mean, he, you flip through this, just the art alone is is makes it worth a purchase. But then Tom Palmer takes that and he he defines the faces. Tom is incredible with expressions, mm-hmm. and so he takes Gene's. You call his art his pencils murky. And that's a good description. And when when Gene inks his own stuff, it's very it's very murky, uh, which is fine. It's great. It's really dynamic. But Gene, what what Tom Palmer brings to Gene Colan's art is just kind of tightening it up and giving it some good grounding. I could agree with that for sure. So I found this very interesting that the actual results of the Twitter poll, the majority of the people actually voted for Gene Colan as best inker for Tomb of Dracula. I mean, I, I can understand that he he's unique enough of a of a art style that you know there's probably stuff as much as we've gushed about Tom Palmer that perhaps was lost in translation when he was inking it. Yeah, and I think that I'm, so. Let me just say that Tom Palmer inking himself is also excellent. I don't want to say that I don't like that. I just like mm-hmm. it with Tom Palmer more, but there's something to be said about um, an artist inking their own work. You could possibly say that it is a fully the pencils are fully realized at that point. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, one of the things, especially with the Gene Cole and Tom Palmer as an example, that art duo. I mean, you really see how something like this is a culmination of a creative team coming together. Yeah. Uh, with especially when Wolfman hits the book with uh, what is it, issue seven? I mean, you can see why this thing lasted as long as it did and why it has the fan base that it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so let's move over to some uh, comments. I asked on various social media sites to give me some comments, and boy, we got a lot of feedback from Tomb of Dracula. A lot of the comments are the same, so we're going to kind of plow through this. Uh, just interrupt me, Josh, if you, mm-hmm. there's anything you want to comment on. Sure. Over on Twitter, Looney Brains said, best horror comic series till to date, in my humble opinion. Bill Amori says that artwork is fantastic. Cody is Rodeo says, read the whole 70 issue run digitally and loved it. Also included the historic Dracula tales that are from the Dracula magazine in my reading and the Marvel Bram Stoker interpretation. May, may be the best early 70s run of a single Marvel comic? Hmm? Yeah, it could be. That's actually a really good comment just because, you know, the superheroes were all trying to figure out what where they were going, whereas this is fresh and new and brand new number one hitting the stands right 
right at that that peak time. He yeah, he also says the only thing that could possibly rival this or surpass this is Master of Kung Fu. But he says he only read the first epic of that so far. That is also another title that I have not read that everyone speaks so highly about that I really, really need to get into. Yep, I totally agree. That, that was always one I passed when I was growing up as a kid because, oh, this isn't a superhero. It must be garbage, which <laughs> <laughs> is definitely not the right attitude because uh, I keep hearing good things, and, and the Paul Galassi art on that is is just insane. Yeah. So he said that he want he Cody Cody's rodeo said that he also included the Marvel Bram Stoker interpretation like the adaptation of the actual Bram Stoker novel. Oh okay. And that was part of a line called Marvel Classics Comics. It was issue number 9 and that has um a really nice cover that looks to me like it is Tom Palmer definitely on inks and probably Gene Colan as well uh penciling it. I wonder if they plan on uh putting that in one of these complete collections. Yeah, I'm not sure. There's uh it's cover dated 1976, so this would have been done after the series or after well after the series was well underway. So that's right. definitely a Gene Colan. Like it looks exactly like how he draws Dracula in the series here. Now, the thing is the the adaptation itself is not um it's not an actual Marvel comic. Mm. It's a reprint of an old comic series there's a series of books called Pocket Classics, and they came out in the in the 70s or so. They were just tiny little digest, 60-page adaptations of famous literature. And uh, let's see, inside, what does this one say? Copyright, oh, this one says copyright 1984 by Academic Industries. I don't think that's the, the original person who did this, because these were from the 70s. But anyway, this is, um, it's adapted by Nanarel Farr illustrated by Nestor Rendondo. This is when a lot of Filipino artists came over to America to try and get work in the field. Uh, there was an influx of Filipino workers or artists and, and creators for Marvel and DC at this time. And so oh, okay. they did uh, the adaptations for this small company and Marvel eventually got the rights to republish the these adaptations. They colored them because the originals were in black and white. And they're printed at a much larger scale, like regular comic size rather than digest size. And and uh, so it's not actually a true Marvel comic. So I just wanted to point that out because Cody, Cody is Rodeo made a, he made a comment about that. But it's part of the Marvel Classics comics line from the 70s. So they might not have the reprint uh, the reprint rights. rights. Yeah. Eventually, the Marvel Classics comics line after issue, I don't know, something like... 14 or 15, they went to creating their own stuff. And so you got adaptations from like Chris Claremont and, and Bill Mantlo and with mm. artwork from all of the regular regular guys in 70s Marvel. Um, but this particular issue was not, not the case. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, some more comments here. Let's see. Over on Twitter, Johnny Cannon says, I love that series. It's possibly... Uh, it's the career best art from Colin and Palmer. Colin noodles the shit out of the backgrounds, and I think Palmer <laughs> is his best inker. Wolfman also makes the supporting cast dynamic and sympathetic, but some ethnic portrayals haven't aged well. Um, that's true. Some ethnic portrayals haven't aged well for sure. Uh, we will address that when we get into the issues. Sure. 
Doc Strange, whose handle is Billy Delicious, says one <laughs> Wolfman. Uh, once Wolfman and Colin got together on this title, it, be- it quickly became the best horror book from the Bronze Age, bar none. Any publisher. Long well, plot lines with some one-shot stories sprinkled in to keep you on your toes and not even get slightly bored. A great run in of any genre. That's uh, high praise, and that's kind of the, the stuff that I've always heard about this series. So, yeah. Steve Sellers says, A true classic by a legendary team. It takes a few issues before Wolfman comes in, but it really gets going. Uh, Gene Colan and Tom Palmer are a great art team, and so much of the book is the visual storytelling and the depth in the inking. They they mm-hmm. need to collect more of this, which they are. As of this recording, I think Tomb of Dracula Volume Three just dropped. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, going to be nice to have all these on the shelf, and you know, the, the color is nice, but I can see how just these in black and white wouldn't have been all that bad either just because again of the the the, the use of shadow and the inking um but yeah these, these are really nice books and i look forward to having the whole set you can read them all in black and white if you buy the essentials because the essentials of course are just black and white and i could see this as looking really good in black and white however if you look at the stuff from the dracula lives magazine it's so different because they are drawing that with black and white in mind. So you get very, True. very different types of shading, even the stuff that's like Tom Palmer and, and stuff. It's it's all very, very different because when you ink with, with the idea that it's going to be colored, you right. ink it a different way. Well, you can do like ink wash gradients. And uh, I, I know there was at least one story in the back where they did highlights in red, which yep. I thought was really cool. Very effective. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I haven't seen the essentials of Tomb of Dracula to know what it looks like in black and white, but I bet it's still pretty cool. Uh, another comment from Captain Blood of Kirby. It says, uh, probably the best series at Marvel for its time. Probably the best series ever to star a villain and I find and, and find ways to keep him evil while still create sympathy for him. A wonderful cast of well-written characters and Gene Colan's perfectly suited dark and elegant and evocative artwork. A masterwork. Uh, Richard Gentry says, I had every single one of them when I collected comics in the 80s. I wonder what mint condition number one would go for these days. (laughs) Hold on to that mint condition number one until Tomb of Dracula gets his own movie. Well, they're redoing Blade, so who knows? Hopefully they uh, they take some of these uh, elements of Tomb of Dracula that the original movies kind of passed on. And Dracula is a public domain character, so how cool would that be if Dracula actually was... In a Blade movie. That would be oh, that so would be cool. awesome. That would be really cool. Okay, Sean Gallagher says, I just picked up this series. The art is some of the best of the 70s. I like Tom Palmer, and he and Colin mesh uh, great, almost as well as Bisema. Wolfman builds an interesting supporting cast. Reading volume two now, and it just gets better. That's great to hear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because this is already stellar. So if it's even going to get better from there, then I'm, I'm on board. Absolutely. Uh, JC says Gene Colan was the perfect artist for this series. His use of shadow gives his work an eerie feel, an excellent marriage of artist and subject matter. Yes, we've already touched on that. And then last comment here. Timothy says, great book. was very happy Marvel looks to be on set to releasing one volume a year. It is one of the immediate examples of the first major change to the comic code in the early 70s. They were very creative in how they used Dracula both as a protagonist and antagonist in this series. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. 
Uh, and I have very specific examples once we get into the issues for that too. So jumping into the issues here, Tomb of Dracula, number one. I skipped the part of the episode where I usually talk about what you need to know because you really don't need to know anything. Actually, if you were to know anything, it would be to read the original Bram Stoker novel. Yes, I was going to say they referenced that actually quite a bit, at least for the basis of where they started their story. Yes, uh, and they definitely deviate from that, but there are all, all of these characters... Um, or most of these characters, have their their roots in the Bram Stoker novels. So read that and then come back and listen. Uh, but if you, have, if you have already read it or you don't care, then let's just move on to issue number one. It's simply called Dracula. And in this one, we are introduced to our, our main cast, Frank Drake and his friend Clifton and his fiancée Jean. They travel to Transylvania to check out a castle that Frank Drake has inherited. And while they're there, Clifton accidentally revives Dracula. And I love that. It's like, how do you accidentally mm-hmm. revive Dracula? <laughs> he finds a right. he finds the tomb, he stumbles upon it, there's the stake in Dracula, and it's I guess if the mytholo- if this is how the mythology works, you take the stake out of Dracula, that brings him back to life. Yes, they they play a little fast and loose depending on the issue and the writer on some of that. I noticed being a a fan of horror movies and and stuff in general, um, but usually it would be the stake goes through the heart and then you have to remove the head. Right. And the stake through the heart, it's not so much a stake through the heart; it's a stake through the body to pin it down to then cut off the head. Oh, okay. But but the mythology is so, like I said, things get played fast and loose in this comic, and there's been, what, uh, a thousand movies with Dracula yeah, right around yeah, there? Yeah, It This is great. I am glad that you have this knowledge because I I looked up a bunch of this stuff about the mythology, and, yes. it's, and, and every culture has its own Dracula or vampire yeah. mythology, so they, they bring in many of the different elements into this book here. Right, and, and they definitely, I mean, they play up Dracula himself. I, I like to, after reading this, he's the ultimate supervillain. And seeing all of his abilities and the things he's able to do, and we see little little bit here and there throughout the issues, I mean, he would have been really uh, a tough customer for anybody in the Marvel Universe proper, uh, let alone just being in his own little corner here, at least in these early issues. Yeah. These three main characters, Frank, Gene, and Clifton. Sorry, I should I should mention that this epi- this issue is written by Jerry Conway. He's the one who launched yes. all of these monster books. And he introduces these characters so well. The characterization for all three of them is perfect for us Absolutely. to understand exactly who they are, exactly what we need to know, what their motivations are, what their worries or fears are. It's it's just this is a perfect example of how to introduce characters into comics. That's that's exactly it, and and that is Jerry Conway's wheelhouse. It seems. Uh, yes. You know, you you had what twenty five pages for issue one, and I mean, it felt like you watched a really cool like half hour episode of like a Dracula soap opera almost. Uh, he he just does that so well he did that with his spider-man run uh firestorm over at dc was one of his creations and everybody says that's the marvel dc book um yeah (laughs) yeah it would have been interesting to see had he stuck with this 
if he didn't have other stuff that was constantly, you know, he, he wrote so many things. I'm curious where he would have taken the book because, yeah, I agree. Uh, this, the soap opera angle of things just in this first uh, issue uh, is, is, is so well done. And it's perfectly paced, too. The, the, it just the, the way as they're building this tension, as they're driving to the castle, and as they enter yes. the castle, and as they're exploring the castle, everything, the tension... And this is also partly because of Gene Colan's pacing as well, because he's doing the layouts. It's just so well told. It, it's just what a great first issue. It, it starts off with a bang. It really does, and it does leave on something of a cliffhanger. But at the same point, if this was it, this was a satisfying, you know, twenty-five page little horror story. Yeah. Uh, Bram Stoker's novel is written into the story, like we said, uh, right at the very beginning, because they use it as reference. So, have you read that book? I never have. I, I want to after reading this, but I've heard it's a dry read, so I always kind of ended up avoiding it. It's very interesting, the book, because it's written as a collection of letters and journal entries. It's not written oh, okay. as your typical prose novel. So the first chapter would be um, a letter to somebody, and then the, the next chapter would be the response letter, and then the next chapter would be a journal entry from one of the characters and that kind of stuff. So they treat okay. those entries as um, actual historical documents in this book. I think that's, uh, I think that's very, very clever. It's I, very I like clever. that a lot. Yeah, it's really neat. Um, if you if you're worried about it being dry, I would suggest picking up an audiobook version of it. You can you can find even abridged versions that cut out a lot of the a lot of the uh, just the dryness and get to the heart yeah. and the meat of the story because it's a really good book. I don't mind a dry read if I'm in the mood for it. A lot of times I like action and adventure, <laughs> well, um, but I I feel like I should read this just because it's you know so much stuff came from this thing in popular yeah. culture and you'll love it being a fan and knowing the mythology it's like the way that they slowly reveal the presence of dracula is just so good uh, cool. because nobody knows anything about vampires at that time and right and, right and with uh you reading it with the the foreknowledge of of what's going to happen or the foresight i guess of what's going to happen it's like uh it, it makes for a really really good suspenseful read so, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and so, yeah, they, they reference it quite plainly in this first issue about uh, about the, the letters back and forth and, and the, the curse of the castle and everything like that. And we find out that Frank Drake is a descendant of Dracula. His original name was Dracula, but he changed it to Drake to distance himself from that history. Did he change it or did his family change oh, it? Oh, sorry, yeah, his family has changed it. Yeah, that's right. Speaking of the, uh, the reading the journal entries on page 11 of the collection, page 8 of this issue, he, he talks about Van Helsing, but he references him as Van Helfing. And I'm curious why they didn't just go with Van Helsing or why Jerry didn't just go with Van Hel Helsing. Oh, yeah, right, because later on it's plainly Helsing because they introduce right. a descendant of, the, of that character. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm wondering if perhaps it's because a lot of S's look like F's in the old style of writing. And I wonder if it just got weirdly lost in translation when, uh, when they wrote it down. But I feel like at this point, everybody knew Van Helsing as well. So, yeah. So I wonder if it's possible that maybe, um, maybe Jerry Conway didn't want to 
have it directly be the same character or have his own like they could copyright of Van Helsing instead right. of Van Helsing <laughs> I don't know I mean, it's it's very possible I mean it's you know it's there's a lot of those kind of little moments where they're trying to figure out the direction of the book and then again as soon as Marv Wolfman took over he knew where he was going with stuff yep. even and we'll talk about it he retconned a few things from this issue um, later in his run in this book okay okay I I didn't notice that. You'll have to clue me in when we get to those points. Okay. Yep. No problem. Um, and the other possibility is that it's just simply a typo. The, the Very letter true. just yep. made a mistake. <laughs> um, the, the shocker in this one is that Jean, the fiance, dies right away. I I was all set for her to be a regular supporting cast member, and then she's yep. she's just taken out. Uh, it turned into a vampire in the very first issue, so that was a, a nice shock. Well, and I will, uh, yeah, and that that last shot of her looking up, kind of, uh, kind of cute, but clearly she's a horrible monster now. Yep. Is uh, it's, it's almost haunting uh, with with how it was drawn. Um, one of the things I did as I was keeping my notes is I kind of kept a kill count. On okay. each issue, yeah, um, and it, it, some of it isn't always super clear. But I kind of made note of how many because this book has a lot of deaths, uh, uh, especially for you know your typical comic book and certainly a Marvel comic. There's a there's a lot going on. There's people getting turned into vampires. There's Dracula killing people. There's vampires getting slaughtered. Um, there's quite a bit of it. Um, and then there's stuff that's just alluded to. Uh, so I'm kind of keeping a count as we go, and I'll give you what I think is the total kill count at the end. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Let, let's move on to n issue number two. Why don't you take this one for us, Josh? Sure. Issue two, this is called uh, The Fear Within. This is also Jerry Conway. This would be his second and what I believe is his last issue. Um Basically, directly follows up with issue one, Dracula, who's now free once again. Uh, he gets revenge on someone who betrayed him, and he feeds. And then while that's going on, Frank and Clifton are dealing with Gene, who clearly is now a vampire. Um, which, this is a nice little wrap-up to the beginning of this story with that Jerry started because we see a lot more of the Gene Clifton. Well, I suppose we didn't really mention that Clifton is Gene's ex fiance or ex boyfriend. Yeah. yeah. And he goes with Gene and Frank as, you know, Mr. Third wheel to castle Dracula in, in issue one. So he's all, you know, angry and bitter and, and, and jealous. Um, and he actually falls under the spell of Jean, who, as a vampire or vampiress, she can mentally control people to a certain thing, a uh, certain way. And uh, but eventually, Frank uh, has to do the deed, and he has to kill Jean, who then gets hit by sunlight, and she also dusts. So yeah. it's kind of a, a pretty bleak issue. It's it's uh, definitely dark. Are you counting only the deaths by Dracula? <laughs> I'm actually counting everything that I can find that would be considered a death. Um, so, I am keeping them separate in my notes, yeah. but uh, yeah, I, I'm because I'm, I'm also counting vampire deaths as well. So does Gene die twice here? Um, I count it as one overall death because it's it's. Her, I would say her getting the stake uh, through the. 
back probably yeah. got her, but then as a final, I would say the dust, uh, the sunlight finishes her off. No, but I mean, would uh, Dracula turning her into a vampire oh, I be see. a death? Because technically she's undead at that point, right? Well, well and that's that's kind of the uh, the the gray area on this. Um, <laughs> just because it, it is kind of tough because they also they they never really make a defined difference between when Dracula feeds and when Dracula maybe feeds and that person turns because right. we see a lot of people that get fed on that, that are just, are just dead. assumed yeah exactly are just assumed dead and i know there have been again movies that have played with that concept that you know they can be quite vicious and kill the person and and you know just for the the feeding um in this case you know it it is left kind of do these people later just walk up and become vampires? I mean, we know he's yeah. turning people throughout this series, but yeah, it, like I said, it's going to be an approximate number. <laughs> so I, I know that there are some movies or books and stuff that say the way the vampire turns is Dracula drinks their blood, but then they have to also drink some of Dracula's blood. And that triggers the turn to vamp vampirism. That I, uh, yep, that I've heard that. Um, I've also heard where it doesn't matter who who turned you but whatever vampire turned you if you kill that vampire then you also die or they've had it right. where you lose your vampirism and you get to be normal again no. <laughs> um there's there's probably every iteration of this at this point in 2019 they've been playing with uh, vampire mythology in hollywood yeah so who knows where uh this is this is kind of a lot of your basic stuff um and they, I mean, they play with all the Christian symbology, you know, the crucifix is, is deadly to him and everything else. So um, it's kind of interesting because, and not to go on that tangent, but, you know, this this was a time where Marvel was really playing with the concept of, you know, with, you know, with Ghost Rider and Son of Satan. They really were somewhat defining the role of Satan and God in the Marvel universe. So this issue is inked by Vince Coletta. And it's yes. the last one was inked by Gene. This one is inked by Coletta, and it's uh, definitely has a different feel to it. It's yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm never. I haven't never really been too much of a fan of Vince Coletta's inks. Um, the only time I've it didn't bother me too much was on the uh, the '60s Thor run when he was really going the main guy there. Um, yeah. Only because it added to that kind of storybook myth you know book of mythology feel to the strip which i thought really benefited from it yeah um but then there's times where he goes a little too scratchy with the lines when doing shading on a face where you lose form so yeah that's kind of where i don't like his work but actually you, you see that fairly minimally in this one in this issue here it's yeah, actually and just a yeah it's just a, a few panels here or there that i'm not too keen on but gene's mm -hmm. heavy hand in the the penciling, I think really helps the fact that he likes to use such dark, blocky shadows. It rains um, Vince Coletta in. There's a, there's another issue later on that Vince inks that I don't like as much. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll we'll get to that one. Yeah. I do want to just mention the cover. This looks like a uh, John Severin yeah. style. Uh, I mean, it has a little JS on there. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, definitely John Severin for sure. And I know he was probably still with Marvel. Was he? He was on Sergeant Fury still, probably. I'm guessing. In the early '70s, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but I, I, I was an avid collector of Cracked magazine as a kid, so he was uh, he was all over that magazine. Nice. So I definitely I picked that out right away, especially with the uh, the people huddling under the tunnel there. If we can mention these covers, a lot of times they really don't have much to do with the story inside. Um, I noticed that yeah. just to, just to grab somebody to buy it, it seemed more so than telling the story, which is how Marvel does their covers these days. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. But this, yeah, this was also a period where in the seventies, Marvel put all, just the um, like a spot image in the middle in a box in the cover, so it wouldn't take up the whole cover. It would be right focused in this box. Yeah, that didn't last too awful long. Um, I. You definitely lose artwork space yeah. when you do that uh, that framing. Um, I did also want to make mention, this is, I think, our last issue where we get to see Dracula all pale and corpse-like. Right. The next issue, he he loses that, that pallor to his skin. Uh, I would have been just fine if they kept him looking like that, but, I mean, he wouldn't blend in as well, I suppose, with regular folk. I think it was a good decision. Yeah, I mean, long long term it was, but I do. I, it makes them look more monstrous. True. You wanted to mention something about the logo, right? Yeah, I just wanted to make mention. I mean, the old timers hand drew all of their logos. You know, there obviously wasn't computers to help, and just the design. I don't know who designed this. Sometimes they had actual people designated as the logo designers, uh, but the way that they drew this, where. Uh, of Dracula was inside it looks like his cape yep. but then they have these little spots at the uh, at the top corners where you could see like the bat claw coming right, off of it right. it's, just, it's subtle but it's so well done and I also kind of wonder if it was a little bit of a, of a jab at DC because I mean they really have the market <laughs> for bat related logos yep absolutely it definitely <laughs> has that old 60s batman especially the tv show batman style yep yep <laughs> that's funny but yeah that's a that's a great logo it's it, just as iconic i think as everything else with this series because it's so unique yeah so what i like about this issue is the, the first issue introduced us to the lore of dracula Mm-hmm. And then this issue introduces us to the person of Dracula. So right. we get kind of one at a time. We, we, we found out all about the history. Now we're finding out who is Dracula, what, what makes him tick, and what kind of person or creature is he. So that was that's a really, really nice way to, to, to spread out the information. Yes, I, I agree with that. And he was always, the classic representation of Dracula was always a refined, you know, like aristocrat type of uh you know he was a he was a count you know he was yep. a, a man of of high standing and, and of uh you know elegance i guess you could say so they definitely play up that version in in uh in this series as well he's yes, a, he's yes. a ma- man of culture almost issue number three is called who stalks the vampire so Archie Goodwin is the writer of this issue and taking over for Jerry Conway. He'll just be on for, is it just this one issue, I think? Yeah. No, it's no, two, and the next one. Yeah, two issues. But yep. Tom Palmer makes his debut inking and there is this just a stark, a stark difference. I, I love on page 55, uh, which is page four of the issue. Yes. That face, the glowing face of Dracula. 
And that's it's, the difference between Tom Palmer. The biggest difference between Tom Palmer's inks and and uh, Gene Colan's inks mm-hmm. is the definition you get in the facial features. I think the simple drawing that it is is actually quite startling. The way that it's it's centered kind of in this murky panel, uh, so it really pops with it being all white with like a somewhat black background. Uh, it actually, yep. it, 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 it's kind of creepy, actually. It is. Well, because the eyes are, the pupils are dilated and the head is yep. just slightly askew to give yep. it a kind of a creepy look. So, and it's also just coming, it's an, it's a, it's an upshot as well. So it looks right. like Dracula's towering above. Like it is, it is a, it's a great panel. Yeah. I like that. Frank is about to kill himself over the loss of his fiance and everything happening with Dracula, but he's stopped by a couple of new characters introduced here by Archie Goodwin, Rachel Van Helsing and her silent bodyguard Taj. And together they search for Dracula's tomb. And in the process, Dracula enslaves Cliff and Cliff now becomes his mindless servant. And they go and buy his castle because I guess... The timeline is a little askew here. We're not exactly sure how long, how much time has passed because Frank in the first issue was supposed to inherit his castle or he has inherited his castle. By this time, he sold his castle, the remains, the shard, because it caught fire in the first issue. The charred remains of the castle are now sold to someone named Isla Strangeway. Right. Yeah, we forgot to mention in in issue one, uh, the villagers torched the castle. Yeah. So, Dracula has a plan. He wants to buy the castle from this Isla Strangway. Uh, what do you think of these two new characters, Rachel Van Helsing and Taj? Um, I love them. I, I, I will say, because I, I don't know what's to come for the, the bulk of this series, but it seems like we probably shouldn't get too attached to anybody. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, but uh, I, I think... Taj and uh, and Rachel, I just think they're both very compelling characters. I like how Frank is our uh, our viewpoint into the world of vampire hunters, which clearly have been going on for quite some time in the right. Marvel universe. Yeah. Um. So that was a that was a really good uh, way to get into this, and obviously we're we're introduced to more as this uh, as this collection continues. Uh, but. I, I really do. I like. I think Taj is visually interesting and different. I mean, I'm assuming he's, uh, what, from India or yep. Pakistan? I mean, he's probably a sheik, so um, there really isn't that kind of representation at all, really, in comics that I can think of at this point in time, uh, at least for a recurring character. So Yeah, and I don't know if this is one of the dated cultural references that, uh, was it Johnny that was saying? Or yeah, I mean, it, it could be... Uh, it's. I mean, just. I mean, with the name Taj, I suppose could be like somewhat lazy writing in terms of that. But I, this is a this is a positive character in my opinion. Yep. I mean, he he's treated with respect and he's uh, he's quite an asset to the team as well. So, yeah, I think that as far as racial stereotypes go, this one's pretty mild. Um, I mean, you could just comment on the fact that his his you know his turban is probably pretty stereotypical because um, it's not accurately drawn and you know that kind right. of thing um but other than that it's like this the the skin tone is maybe a little off because it's very kind of grayish as well but that's right. due to the limited number of colors that they had to use at this point uh, in comics as well right well and i like that because we will eventually get a little bit of his backstory but i like that we have a a character that isn't just 
from America or, you know, we kind of like with the all new, all different X-Men, we're getting a little sense of this is a global problem. These, you know, vampires. <laughs> so I, I, I think it's really cool that we have his inclusion and hopefully he lasts all 70 issues. <laughs> well, and Van Helsing herself, she's from German descent and the whole right. story takes place in London. So we are getting a, um, yeah, a multicultural cast here pretty soon. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I did want to say that that splash page, and I'm probably going to say this for several of these issues. Uh, Gene Colan knew how to how to do a splash page. He knew how to write in as soon as you open that, you know, turn the cover. Um, this one, I mean, you're dealing with a character, our main character, who's already suicidal in issue three, uh, which is just, I mean, it's a it's a depressing topic, and it's it's right there. Um, and and he drew. I'm assuming that's Big Ben in the background. Oh yeah. Uh, but it's just filled with just you know uh, fog and uh, yeah, just the London despair. fog. The London fog is just. And you look at this carefully, yeah. and it's just careless lines that he's drawn across to indicate the fog right and it's brilliant it just it works mm -hmm. well even the um archways holding up this bridge they're delicately inked so that they even seem like they're faded off it's it's really well done it really is yeah it is uh one thing that i wanted to note here is that the the dialogue at the very beginning it's a second-person narration. Your name is Frank Drake, and for yes. a day you've numbly walked the London streets, seeking in vain to erase a memory. It's uh, They do that in Iron Fist in the first few issues right. of Iron Fist as well in the 70s, so I don't know if, if this is a 70s thing or what, but it's, a, it's different from the other ones, and I guess that's Archie Goodwin bringing that to the table. As a new and it does, and it does seem like it only lasts the first few pages, as opposed because then there's captions later in this issue that are just your normal caption. So, I yes, guess you're right. It does seem using that technique for this particular, you know, the suicide attempt and rescue, uh, I think, adds to the gravity of the scene. Quite, quite honestly, it does. We're introduced to a, a mystical item in this issue called the Black Mirror. Do you know about the Black Mirror? I know nothing about the Black Mirror. Black Mirror is an item from Jewish folklore. It's oh, okay. it's a gateway to the realm of Lilith. And do you know uh, do you know who Lilith is? Thought that she was either a female vampire or Dracula's daughter. So in this book, she's lines? going to be. I think she'll be Dracula's daughter. In in Jewish folklore, the character of Lilith is a demon who is the ruler of this realm that on the other side of the mirror. Okay. And I guess I don't know which uh which book this comes out of but she is the apparently the first wife of Adam like as in Adam and Eve. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I have heard of that. Yep. It's totally not biblical. I don't know which ancient text the story comes from, but that's part mm -hmm. of the story and then she became a destroyer of children. That's her thing is she she destroys children. And uh, and so they don't really play with that in this comic. However, the the Black Mirror is still a portal to a realm of demons. Yes, it is. And uh, Among I, think other things. The, I think it's the next issue where we really get to see some of that. What I found interesting with this Dark Mirror or Black Mirror and just the Isla Strangeway character, you know, she's a collector of occult items. 
I feel like the mirror or her had to have been on Doctor Strange's radar. I'm always looking at this as part of the bigger Marvel Universe, and it would have been cool to see these cool little ideas of a crossover or even just uh, uh, a conjoined universe. You know, perhaps maybe in the Sanctum Sanctorum, there's another one of those dark mirrors. Yeah. Um, it just, you know, for somebody who also collects occult artifacts, you'd think that he would definitely know about her. So in this one, we also see, actually, you know, I think her name is uh, Ilsa, not Isla. Ilsa. Oh, Sparingly. you're right. Yes. S is after the L. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ilsa. Ilsa has a copy of Bram Stoker's novel. Yes. And so this is where she's getting a lot of her information about Dracula as well. And she's a collector of, of the, the occult arts. And so she has, uh, she needs some information on how to keep herself young. Now, here's an interesting thing. She will give the castle to Dracula if she, if Dracula in return will turn her into a vampire so that she will uh, be young and beautiful and stay beautiful for all of eternity. Uh, right. She is painted very much a vain character. Yep. Holding, trying to hold on to her youth and probably the Tom Palmer... Uh, influences in inking you can see that last panel uh this is on page 71 the very delicate line work done to showcase her wrinkles yep, yep. on a still relatively you know pretty face uh that's that's a difficult thing to do for an artist um to be able to showcase old and beauty because too many lines ruins it and he did just the right amount so yep it's perfect it's very well done, and I just love that how she talks about how a vampire can't enter a home unless you invite him. Right. And she's all about it. It's like, come on in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that brings us to number four. Yes. Um, number four, this one is called Through a Mirror Darkly. So a little play on the dark mirror being the main uh, uh, focal point of this issue. And I believe that's a play on... Isn't that a, a story as well, a scanner darkly or something like that? No, it's uh, through a glass darkly, and I think oh, okay. it's, a, it's a line from the Bible. Um, gotcha. I couldn't tell you what verse it is, though. Okay. This is also Archie Goodwin. This was his second issue. But basically, uh, so, yep, Dracula turns Ilsa into a vampire. Uh, she wanted youth and beauty, but she did not realize that you don't get youth and beauty from becoming a vampire. You stay the way you were when you were bitten. So being bitten in her probably 50s, maybe 60s, she's never going to be looking the way she was in her 20s like she wanted. Dracula knew that all along, but, you know, that's Dracula for you. While that's going on, Frank, Rachel, and Taj hunt Ilsa. She's out there being a vampire. Uh, and we learn the secret of the dark mirror as well, that it is indeed a doorway through time. And they reference that it was created by demons. So right. there's probably more of that uh, uh, Lilith uh, connection there that you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I will say that uh, this ends the story of Ilsa. And it's actually a, kind of a sad story arc, to be honest with you. She's clearly living a depressed uh, life, and uh, Dracula took advantage of her, and she was almost ready for death because it wasn't she, she didn't get what she wanted. She tricked Dracula into giving false information about the mirror, and Dracula tricked her because apparently the vampire bite, bite will 
not make her young again. It'll just stop her from aging at the point that she's made a vampire. Right. Yes. And on page 91, she is asking Rachel to do it. She goes, if you can give me peace, girl, do it. Yeah. So yeah. it's uh, it's it's always depressing when a when a character ends his own his or her own life, especially when you're reading a comic book. But like you said, this this isn't part of the epic collections, probably for some some of these uh, darker um, threads. So is that kill count number two? Has nobody died since then? Oh uh, no, we've we've had a lot of deaths actually. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right because um, she in fact kills a couple of people. In this she issue. kills a couple of people and then she herself is killed. Yep. You know, prior to that, we've had Dracula killing. He's killed about three people. Frank killed a vampire, which was his fiance, and um, Taj killed one of the vampires that Dracula turned in issue three. Oh yeah. So yeah, I don't have a running tally, but yes, that's uh, a lot of times a vampire that was turned that issue ends up being killed by the vampire hunters rather than them actually killing Dracula. I forgot to mention. Spoiler warning. I forgot to mention that back in uh, the issue where Frank kills uh, his fiance, he doesn't actually yes. kill the fiance. He immobilizes her, but then she turns to dust. So it frees our hero from being an actual murderer. From being a murderer, yeah. yeah. And that's just like when you talk about, you know, when, when you're dealing with uh, stories or movies that deal with zombies, you know, they play with that same idea that, well, that. That's no longer your father. That's a zombie now. It's it's not who you think it is, you know. And that's they're playing with that here as well. Um, I mean, if he didn't believe in vampires and just thought that she had a problem, I mean, he still stabs her right through the back with a giant wooden stake. So right. <laughs> that's kind of a brutal way to immobilize somebody. One of the cool things in this issue as well uh, is the flashlight with a cross drawn on it, or perhaps that's electrical tape, uh, page 87. Yeah. Uh, I guess a little Vampire Hunter 101 there. Um, you project <laughs> the crucifix Instinct like their very own... Ba- yes, exactly, like their little bat signal of sorts. That's right, or uh, the Spider-Man so- thing he has on his belt. Yes, yep. Um, I don't think this works very well, though. I think the the image would actually get kind of diluted in the in the light and dissipate, but they must have found a way to figure it out. So this issue is, I consider this to be, art-wise, I think my favorite issue of the entire book. Like every single panel in this, yes. in this issue is a complete masterpiece. I will definitely agree with you on that. The close-ups of... Uh, Ilsa, uh, page 86, that transformation from Bat to Dracula uh, with the uplighting on his face and his eyes are pink. And then the next page on top where he, Dracula lunges at Frank. I mean, that, he looks like, yeah, he looks like a ferocious beast there. I mean, yeah, there, there's a lot of good. I I could definitely agree with you on that. And I just love like there's a page 88 at the very bottom, the last panel where they're shining a beam on him. Yes. And, and it, everything's bathed in yellow, and you get, use the zipitone to create the, the, mm-hmm. the cross shadow and such. And, and there's just uh, on page 85 where, where Ilsa is going to attack the, the, the man and the woman, and you just see her hands. And the woman 
is like fading into shadow because they're just kind of underneath an archway or something like that. It's just yeah, the, and the, the look of terror on their faces. It's it's brilliant. There's just so much to love, and uh, of course there are those types of panels scattered throughout these, but. I really feel like there's a lot more care and attention, in particular with this issue with the creative team than than others. Yeah, I would agree. Tom Palmer, I know a lot of other inkers or artists will use Zipatone, but in my readings, I feel like he uses it the most and probably to the best effect. Yeah. And the process of that, I believe, is very meticulously cutting out the shape of it that you need, correct? Yep. Well, I, so, I think you get to... Um, it's like a sticky it has a sticky side and you right. rub one side of the paper and it it puts the okay. it it puts the dots onto the other paper. I mean that alone causes you to have to spend a little bit more time on the artwork uh so Yep. Definitely. It's it I always appreciate seeing it and I've picked it out a lot more, you know, the past, well, probably 5 years, 10 years because I finally learned what it was. <laughs> I always just thought it was a I don't know, I didn't know how they did it honestly, but um, yeah, it's it, he does it so well. And the restoration on this book is absolutely perfect because every single Zipatone is is crystal clear. It's mm -hmm. not muddy or murky because of bad scans or anything like that. Uh, it, it it's top notch. Definitely agreed. Um, and what a way to end an issue uh, with Taj and Dracula lunge through the uh, the dark mirror, and that's how it ends. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, why does Dracula care about the Black Mirror exactly? It, I found it sort of weird that he saw it and was intrigued by it because he, he doesn't care about any of that kind of stuff in previous issues. Right, he, we don't see him caring about it and knowing that one of the worlds or one of the realms is filled with demons, well, we clearly see in the next one that that wasn't his goal either because he's fighting for his life. So Well, he didn't know. That was the trick. Uh, Elsa's trick was that oh, she, that's right. she didn't tell him that it was he was going to get to a land of demons. So that was a surprise. And it, Yeah. Well, we'll talk more when we do issue five because, you know, we'll, I don't want to give things away on that. But, but yeah, because the, the Dark Mirror plays into that. Uh, it's a good question. I, I'm not sure exactly what his goal was with the Dark Mirror. I figured he just wanted his castle back. Yeah. Okay, so we'll move on to issue number five, Death to the Vampire Slayer. This one's written by Gardner Fox, and he Gardner Fox is a is a Golden Age slash Silver Age writer. He worked a lot with DC. One of the old school, yeah. He did like the first eighty plus issues of Justice League of America. I think yep. he wrote every Justice Society issue or uh, story in All Star Comics from the forties incredibly prolific writer that seemed to not be able to find his footing in the 70s. <laughs> he had a uh, brief period with Marvel here. He was doing some issues of yeah. Doctor Strange around this time as well and and uh, and and would do these kind of demon stories actually. He he's used for this kind of stuff a lot. And a, a lot of times it was Roy Thomas getting him work cuz he was such a such a fanboy of Gardner and of course the 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 Silver Age and the Golden Age. But I remember in your Doctor Strange episode for, uh, three, 
the Gardner Fox issues weren't exactly everyone's favorite. No, I did not like them. <laughs> this one's yeah. fine though. He he's just continuing the story that that uh, Archie Goodwin started off, and there's nothing really wrong with it. Uh, so in this issue here, of course, we know that Taj is taken into the Black Mirror with Dracula, and they find themselves in a, a demon realm. And so Frank and Rachel have to figure out how to get through the mirror to rescue their friend. And mm-hmm. so they have to fight uh, Lenore. Who, this is so weird. <laughs> Dracula has kept a vampire in a bottle. <laughs> in in, uh, one in of a his, bottle of blood. In a no bottle less. of blood in one of his chambers or something like that. And so he pops the cork and releases this, this vampire, Lenore, and, mm-hmm. uh, and uses her to to keep the the other guys away. I, oh yeah, I guess they, he finds another mirror and is able to get back uh No, sorry, how does this work here? Uh, I'm getting all confused because now time travel's involved. Yeah. So, yeah, cuz he he goes into the he basically goes back 100 years. He's in like the 1800s Transylvania and goes yeah, he goes back in time to it looks like after he was supposedly originally killed by Abraham Van Helsing and then he wants to now take him out um, uh, yes. now that he's back there. So I found uh, some, I, I don't know if this is just a paradoxical you know, mistake or something, but he travels to the time where Van's, Van Helsing has killed Dracula. Mm-hmm. And we know from the first issue that he kills him in his coffin. Right. But at some point in this story, the sun comes up and he has to, he has to sleep in his own tomb. So he sleeps in his own tomb, but his, his own body is not there. Right. Um, yeah, that's that's a little weird. Um, and maybe it has, like you said, a time paradox of some sort. Um, I mean, he had no control over finding himself, and it's not like he targeted Transylvania in the 1800s. Yeah. Um, but he, he realized where he was, and he decided to take full advantage of it. And then this whole thing with Lenore... He only releases her when he realizes that Rachel and Frank have followed through the dark mirror and somehow they were able to choose where they're going to go and yeah. were able to go to 1800s Transylvania. So, yes, it's there's kind of a lot of things going on here. And it's with most time travel stories, it's best not to think about it too much. Yeah, I, I found that that was uh, that this might be my least favorite. And it's coincidental that it's Gardner Fox <laughs> because it's not that bad of an issue, but. It seems so different in just because of the time travel aspect than any of the other issues that we've had so far and of the ones that come up in the rest of this collection. So you're not going to start a uh, Gardner Fox haters club on Facebook? You know what? I don't hate Gardner Fox. I'm just not a fan of his <laughs> 70s stuff. Golden yeah. Age or yeah, Gold, Silver Age Justice League is great. <laughs> Yeah, this issue, this issue is a little, like I said, if you think about it too much, it starts to melt your brain a little bit. But on the surface, I mean, we start off with Dracula just fighting a horde of demons. I mean, these are some of my favorite just, you know, three pages. Uh, and that look of fear on Taj on uh, page 97, yeah. where he's just gripping Dracula, his shirt, shirt's ripped or his jacket's ripped, and he just looks... He's- He's, he's done. Yeah, he's never seen anything like this before. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. And that's what we're, you know, we're assuming he's a seasoned vampire hunter, but demons, he's like, nope, not doing this. Yeah. I, what I also liked about this issue is why does Dracula keep Taj alive? And it makes sense because he doesn't know where he's going to show up, so he doesn't know 
if he's going to have food where he shows up. Yeah. So he's keeping him alive basically how, you know, we would keep a pig tied up out back just in case we run out of bacon. <laughs> right. And especially once he enters the, the demon world, you know, like he doesn't, can he, he only feasts on, feasts on human blood, not any yeah, sort of blood of any so. creature. Right. So he's, he's keeping him alive, you know, Smart. so he doesn't have to. Yeah, it's it, it is. It's it's pretty well done. And this is the first issue where we really follow Dracula's story. Mm-hmm. He becomes the A plot and Frank becomes the B plot. You're right. Yeah, this is and we we get more issues like that. Yep. Um but yeah, it's it's interesting cuz you you get so wrapped up in what's going on with Dracula, which again, ultimate supervillain. I mean, he's the title of the book. Yeah. And you know, the heroes almost come second second fiddle sometimes. Yes. This was uh this was a good one and then another little uh note I made of Vampire Hunter 101, apparently white thornwood is deadly to a vampire. Yeah, so I looked that up because I was I was just interested uh, in that. So white thorn is a it comes from Serbian vampire folklore. Oh, okay. And it states that in the Serbian folklore, it says that the stakes must be made of this kind of wood. It's also called ah. called hawthorn wood. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, that's very interesting. Like you said, they they pick and choose from different different uh, vampire mythologies. That that makes sense, and it. You know, it makes it a little bit more intriguing because it's not just like, you know, oak. You have to have a specific wood. I, I think that I, I like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And later on, we'll see Blade has knives that are made out of a very specific wood as well. Right. Yeah. All right. Tomb of Dracula number six. This is our first issue of 1973. So we are into the second year. This one's called The Moreland's Monster. This is also Gardner Fox. This is his last issue. This uh, basically probably the wrap-up to the Dark Mirror saga, I guess you could call it. Uh, Dracula and Lenore, they arrive back in the modern day uh, with, with Rachel, Frank, and Taj hot on their heels. They end up meeting a Lord and Lady Daring uh, who own a manor on the moors. Uh, and they gain an unsuspecting ally in their bestial son, Randolph. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this was uh, this was okay. The Randolph thing, for some reason, I don't know why, but I just can't get on board with it. Yeah, I would have to agree. This one is another Gardner Fox issue, and it's just uh, it it was bizarre because it felt like the focus was placed too heavily on this other monster right and the cover which is really well done and i'm i'm guessing maybe i don't know looks almost like neil adams but i don't know who did the cover but the the, you know they certainly draw the monster to be very almost like sasquatch and um you know again that's very possible with the time that this came out Uh, a lot of that was was going around with uh, you know Bigfoot and everything else, but they give it a, in my opinion, a lame excuse on what was going on here. Basically, they explain that this Moreland's monster that were teased in this issue, he's actually a normal human who's su- suffering from recessive genes apparently that are in the bloodline of his family, uh, and he also has Navis pilosis, which causes excessive hair growth. Yeah. Um, so it, both of those things, um, rachitis and navis pilotis, uh, uh-huh. are actual diseases. 
but they are really, really extremely exaggerated for this because the rachitis is just low bone density, and that a lot of uh, that comes out when you see people with like bow legs. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, in some cases, it can really twist you and cripple you, but uh, in most cases, it's not as extreme as twisting someone to make them seem very monstrous like this. And the navis um, pilosis is... I, I, you might have seen people who have, like, really huge birthmarks, and the birthmarks are covered with, like, almost a fur kind of, like, that kind of hair. Yeah, kind like, of like uh, like the dog boys in the old sideshows where their yeah. whole face is covered. And so that's what that is. It doesn't. Oh, okay. It doesn't look like like you're like a like dog hair or something like that. Right. It's only just a thin like a a fuzz like a peach fuzz kind of thing. I see. I guess. I guess my issue with that is that's a cool idea to have it where it's not actually a monster that it's just a a person. But again, I read these knowing the larger scope of the Marvel universe and. I feel like I would have been so jazzed if this was just a mutant and the, you know, he's not explained as a mutant, like a Marvel mutant, but I think that would have been cool if it was like a, you know, an ape like actual mutant character yeah, or an actual, you know, Sasquatch or something <laughs> rather than this explanation. I just think we're dealing with so many crazy, weird out there, supernatural and, and, and what have you type concepts that, I don't know. They they give this one like a scientific explanation, and it just it's kind of underwhelming, I guess. Well, and my issue is that we are so heavily invested in Dracula right now mm-hmm. that we don't need to be introduced to this other character. Uh, he's a cool character. It's a great concept, like you said. It's something right. that I would like to see in the Incredible Hulk at this time in the seventies. Yeah, that would yeah. work better than than sticking it here because all of a sudden we're we're, we're sidetracked, basically. Uh, I agree. Would have been interesting instead, because like you said, we've been invested in the Dracula character. Well, we really don't know much about Lenore. We don't really know much about Lenore in Dracula's past. Um, I don't know if we eventually do get any revealing. I, I, I'm guessing we probably don't. But this is also... Lenore is is killed in this one. Dracula kills somebody, Lenore kills somebody, and then Frank kills Lenore in this one. So that's it on her, and we really didn't get much from her at all. Yeah. Uh, but instead, we, we know all about Randolph. The other thing is that I found that Lenore's death was not particularly clear. So if you... What page is that on here? On page 123, if you don't look at any of the words, just pay no attention to the words, because this is the Marvel method, right? So the, right. the artist cre- crafts their, their layouts here, and then the writer puts the dialogue in. So in the first panel, you have... Dracula, like with his hands over Lenore, mm-hmm. and then the next skinny panel is there's a gun, and then the third panel is, I guess Lenore's being shot, but we don't really know what's going on here, and then I especially don't know what's happening in the last panel. If the arrow, there's an arrow in her. When you just see the uh, the wording, it, it is a it, it is very weird. The um, the wording ma- makes it make sense, but I feel like it's forcing it to make sense. Well, it's, I agree. Um, you know, it's basically being sh- showcased here that Dracula is... Frank was, was aiming to kill Dracula, and at the last second, he threw Lenore in the path of the arrow, and she was killed instead, and Frank even makes mention of that. So again, like you said, trying to avoid making him like a cold-blooded killer of sorts, I yep. guess. 
you know, they also get, it's like, oh, it's too late for me to stop my trigger figure. Like, I mean, if he's a vampire hunter, I, I feel like it's okay, but maybe there was violence against women they were trying not to showcase or something. I really think that Gene Colan had it in his mind that Frank was going to shoot Lenore in order to save Rachel. Yeah. I think that that's what, was, what Gene was actually trying to do. So if you look at the three panels at the bottom of 122, he hears the cry, he goes and sees... Le, uh, Lenore over top of Rachel he grabs <laughs> his his crossbow and I think he purposely is going to to kill uh, Lenore instead of Dracula but the wording makes it seem otherwise agreed because Le- Lenore is the one that's on top of Rachel right now yeah. not Dracula and then the next panel shows Frank saying this time you won't get away Dracula well, what, is he just going to let Lenore kill Rachel <laughs> right so yeah you're right there's there's a little bit of that disconnect there and we should probably mention in this issue, uh, Rachel and Frank declare their love for one another. Right. Yes. Yes. So, that, so that, the soap that, opera that aspect is. Yeah, it did. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I get the feeling like, like I said before, we don't really know the how much time has passed between issues. It really right. feels like they've been on the road for a long time at this point. Yeah, it, it, they, and it probably is that way. And and the timing and pacing gets much more precise when marv wolfman is really getting into the swing of things um because it's you know he's not on it yet so yeah there's there's a little bit of the floating around from issue to issue that it's tough to track but i guess he's over gene so good for him (laughs) there was uh at at the the last page on on page 134 we get uh, the second panel we get a worried frank who is concerned that he may become a vampire because his blood is is Dracula's bloodline. I wonder if this is ever further explored because it's not mentioned again in the rest of this issue or this uh, collection. And I found that to be almost like out of place because it doesn't seem like there's any follow-up with that. So I guess my question is, can Dracula father children being a vampire, like the human way? Because that's the only way that he would be, he would pass the bloodline down as a vampire. Because if as he's a, vampire, a descendant of correct. Dracula, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's a vampire. Exactly. It's not like Dracula is his dad or, you know, like a teen wolf scenario. It's, it's very, uh, it's kind of a weird worry and kind of like, again, they're kind of playing a little fast and loose with the rules because we're on our third writer now. Yeah. So, you know, things aren't as strictly thick. I'm just curious if as we go forward, if we end up seeing that brought up again, because I I agree with you. I don't see how that's possible. I don't think he is able to, you know, procreate a normal way now that he is, you know, he's the undead, basically. That's yeah. that's what they keep referring to these vampires as. So he can't create life when he's dead. And then my my other – this ending is so bizarre with the four of them being Taj, Rachel, Frank, and Randolph, the hairy weirdo, walking off into the, into the, <laughs> the, the, the sunset or yeah. the – yeah, whatever um, together as if they are now like the best of pals – and Randolph is joining their crew. It's it's very very weird. It reminds me almost of Wizard of Oz too, because it just looks like they're on the yellow brick road or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that's right. 
Well, we, I, to my knowledge, we don't see Randolph ever again. So they, maybe, maybe they don't like the way he, you know, smells or something. I have no yeah. idea. Will you get this walking carpet out of my way? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, I'm ready for seven now. Okay, so number seven is the first issue with Marv Wolfman. This is kind of the, the, the other stuff has come and gone. The other writers have done their thing to set the stage. We're introduced uh-huh. to the characters, the folklore, um, and now we're starting a new chapter. And moving forward, this is where the book really takes off. Agreed. And so this one's called Night of the Death Stalkers. Dracula returns to London and enslaves a group of children, and we are introduced to a new character called Quincy Harker. And he telegrams Rachel that he needs her help, and then when they all get over to where he is, he tells the story. And so Harker is a familiar name if you are fans of the original Bram Stoker novel, because there is one character in... In fact, both the, both Quincy and Harker are both familiar names, because those are both characters in the novel. Mm. Nina Harker is the, is the love interest, and then Quincy is one of the suitors, I guess. There are a couple of people who are trying to win the affection of Nina in this book, and, and Quincy's one of them. So apparently Quincy Harker is the grandson of Nina, and mm-hmm. he's been named Quincy after that guy from the novel. Gotcha. Um, oh, Mina. It's Mina Harker. Oh, Mina. Yeah. Okay. It says, uh, Quincy's parents were Jonathan and Mina Harker. They fought alongside my grandfather against Dracula, which would be Van Helsing. Okay, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's the connection there. So, now yeah, Mina Harker, um, at one point, I think, became a uh, a slave of Dracula. Okay. And uh, and yeah, so there's they 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 all bonded through their you know their their shared experience with this trauma and uh, 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 Quincy dies in the book. Spoiler alert. <laughs> ah, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's only over a hundred years old. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm confused about the time period that they're trying to portray here. Mm-hmm. Because it's supposed to be the seventies, but like they drive around in this like nineteen twenties or thirties style car, yeah, and just a lot I of think... the way they dress uh, um is a lot more older style and um but then some like they're using technology like the wheelchair that's definitely not from the twenties or thirties. I think the uh the car might because on page one thirty seven we see a normal car behind edith um, right oh yeah yeah and then it, it th- that could actually just be a little touch of quincy being an older guy he's probably you know because he's been around for a while he probably has certain tastes in uh the older style of things so maybe you know for the 70s that's certainly a classic car so maybe that's just you know Maybe he's just a car, a fan of cars. I guess so. Yeah, even in, in a, the seventies, he didn't drive around in these this, <laughs> this year of this era of car just for fun. That's true. <laughs> um, I like that he has a dog, and I like how the dog's name is Saint. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I uh, I really liked on the top of page one thirty seven the transformation. Here I go talking about that again, but this time Dracula to the bat, and how Gene utilizes Dracula's cloak yes. as part of the transformation. Um, because every time he does that, he, usually that middle panel 
is where he's like just a giant humanoid bat thing, and it's just so cool. It is. Uh, uh, the, and then and there's been times in this collection, you know, he's a normal sized bat, and sometimes he's a human sized bat. It's almost like he can be any size bat he wants, but he really takes advantage of of that cloak uh, a lot with that. On page one forty one, there's a Hammer Films reference. So I guess that pretty firmly places this in the 70s. Yes. Yeah. Yep. We get to see uh, just before that. Well, the girl in the beginning is Edith, which is Quincy's daughter. So we're, we're introduced to Quincy, but also his dog and his daughter. Um, and we're, it's revealed that Rachel and Taj basically work with or work for Quincy. Um but uh, we get on page 138, we get to, uh, another highlight of one of Dracula's many powers, which is uh, controlling of rats. Yeah, yeah, very cool scene. Uh, very, and, and uh, for people who are afraid of rats, it's just as frightening. <laughs> well, and for me, as an exterminator, oh. um, I, I would love that power. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it would be, be a lot less time-consuming to set a bunch of traps. <laughs> yeah, just shoo him out of there. Yeah, yeah that'd be it's great. like right, problem solved. Um, we also see Quincy being very inventive with vampire hunting weapons. Uh, you know, he comes up with this net that uh, doesn't it have garlic? Yeah, the, there's balls yeah. that weigh down the net that are filled with garlic. So there's another little That's vampire the, yeah, first thing. reference to garlic there that we've we've yep. had in the book. Um, and I'm curious if. Do you think Quincy Harker was the inspiration for the Whistler character in the Blade movies? Oh, because yeah. Maybe. I feel like you know he's kind of like the old timer who helps out, you know, the modern day vampire hunter type of thing. Um, I am hoping, like we said, you know, I'd love to see an actual actor playing Quincy Harker, you know, wheelchair bound you know, vampire hunter. I think that would be really, really cool. But I'm just curious if that's where they kind of started with the Whistler idea. That could be. Yep. I could see that. It's very similar. Um, we do see the, the rat trick again on page 148 and, uh, uh, on, uh, page 149 panel three, that screams Scooby-Doo in the gang to me. Uh, <laughs> right, it does. <laughs> it, it looks it really just does. like, you know, the, the group mystery Inc. getting ready. To yeah. unmask Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> and Dracula is just the old man yeah. from the beginning of the episode. Yep. And I would have gotten away from you. <laughs> they were for you, that's meddling a, kids. Let's hope that's how the entire series ends. Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I want to see. Um, my other note that I had on this one was uh, another art thing was uh, page 155, the first panel. With the uh, the mind controlled children slaves, man, that is creepy. Oh yeah, just peeking out of the shadows there. Yeah, yeah. and their their eyes are completely blank. Like that's that's very very creepy. Yeah. Um, and we see Quincy also has his wheelchair all rigged up with uh, darts. Uh, wooden darts. Wooden darts that are poisoned, but I don't <laughs> know what he. I don't know what they're poisoned with. I don't think it gets. I don't even, it just says poison dart. So, but one of them does hit Dracula, and so there's another question I have. It's like they're really yes. playing with, with uh, whether or not Dracula is actually dead. Because if he's dead and his mm -hmm. blood isn't flowing, getting hit with poison shouldn't matter. 
Right, and that's why I wish they would have just simply said garlic darts or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> that it would have just solved that. Uh, or you know, if the darts were that uh, white thorn wood or whatever it was, um, you know, maybe it doesn't kill him, but maybe it messes him up. But yeah, it just says poison, and you're right. That, that shouldn't affect a, a dead person. Yeah, but so. he treats it like like actual poison. The very first page of the next issue, he says his his arm is burning. Yep. So, and he he's it's really he's succumbing to the poison and has to go get it fixed. So, yeah, really strange. I, I thought that right. was a weird plot device there. Yeah, because they they could have just changed the wording and it, then it would been like, oh, okay, I get it, garlic. Okay. Yeah. But I'll just assume it's garlic, not poison. It'll make me feel better. Yeah. All right, uh, Tomb of Dracula number eight. Uh, this one is called The Hell Crawlers, uh, which is a very captivating title. Um, basically, so Dracula getting messed up by the poison dart from the last issue, so it flows right into time-wise, you know, right into the next couple minutes. Uh, he seeks help for the dart from a uh, Dr. Heinrich Morte. While the vampire hunters that he left were um, basically being inundated with his child army, which they eventually escape. Then it gets kind of weird because this Dr. Morte is a vampire who is trying to do good, which I like. I like that concept. But he has a device that they just refer to as the projector that apparently will create an army of zombie vampires. (laughs) So... He's raising a bunch of dead bodies out of the ground that will be vampires with this device. And for some reason, if this vampire doctor that's trying to do good, I don't know why he didn't just destroy it years ago. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't really make a ton of sense. Um, and, you know, Dracula just now remembered it yep. as well. That's that's another weird little thing. Um, but I will say this thing ends with a battle of the bats. Uh, with both yeah. Dr. Morte and Dracula turning into, and these are human-sized bats, if you use the projector as a frame of uh, reference, because they're hold- he's holding onto it with his hands, and then he's holding onto it with the back feet of- as a bat, and that thing isn't isn't that much smaller. And I love how they, they play it out, because be- they- when they're bats, they both look the same. So you don't know right. who has what, and then one of the bats gets impaled, and you don't know if it's Dracula, and then it turns back to the human form, and you find out it's it's the the old man. Right, right, and and almost no text on that last page, and you see the grieving daughter, and she's saying no repeatedly. Yeah. Um, again, that's kind of kind of dark and uh, sad as well. Um, yeah. Yep. Like I said, this guy was a good vampire trying to do his best to to basically save the world, and no one will ever know. Uh, talking about transformation pages, go to page 172, mm-hmm. and you have the giant panel here where both of them are in mid-transformation. And you see Dracula, yes. he's still looking very human, but starting to like get the, the ears and and um, bat features. And then the, then the other guy, uh, Morte, who is just looking really hairy, but still has his cloak on him and stuff. <laughs> so yep. uh, I love that. It's just he when Colin draws these transformation ones it's never the same 
and it's cool agreed and it's cool how they're in mid-flight as well so it's not like they change completely then fly off it's it's like one one swoop uh like one action and you get that feel in this panel where they're in mid-transformation but they're also in mid-air at the same time so you get the feeling that this is happening quite quickly yeah, very quickly. It, it's a this is a fun issue, and I especially love. Now, I was saying that I didn't like the 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 Moreland's monster issue because the Moreland distracted us from the main story. But this issue has right. zombies and yeah. vampires and children of the damned all in yep. it. But it's awesome. It yeah, all it is. works. This, this was a good one. Yeah, it all works together. I love it. I uh, yeah, I agree and. I, I can't get over the Battle of the Bats. Just I, I was w reading that, and there's not a whole lot for two bats to do while they're fighting in the air, but I still want to see this in a movie. I just think this would be really cool. We've seen two werewolves fight in movies. It'd be cool to see two bats fighting, uh, two vampire bats. Yeah, so very cool. It's it's very cinematic. It's really cool. Well, I think we can move on to issue number nine. All right. This one is called Death from the Sea. Uh, Dracula, we're kind of pulled into the middle of a story here. We don't know what's going on. Dracula is pulled from the ocean. And then he's nursed back to health in a small town where he's hiding the fact that he's a vampire. And a man briefly befriends him and saves him from a mob. And so, therefore, he spares his life. And this is kind of the first issue where Marv Wolfman is turning expectations on their head. And we find out that mm -hmm. Dracula has his own moral code. Mm -hmm. and he's actually sort of the protagonist of this story. Oh, yeah. The vampire hunters are barely in this issue. I yeah. think, like, two panels. And it's really great. It's This is a this is an excellent issue, despite Agreed. the fact that it's inked <laughs> by Vince Coletta. Our old pal Vinny. And it just doesn't have the same sort of depth. And I you look at page 181 with how plain this yep. the inside of this castle looks or especially there's another really really terrible panel let me see if i can find it here page 188 what is up with those buildings there yeah <laughs> yeah that looks pretty simplistic uh, almost no depth at all on there yeah this is um this was the one i think we were both referencing earlier in the yep. episode on yep. uh, what one Vince because yeah this this is a tough one I, I even put in my notes Vince Coletta should never ink Gene Colan yeah um, and it's just because it's it's just a drastic difference of uh, of art styles I mean the transformation on the top of one eighty one uh, I mean it's you barely see anything going on there. Uh, yeah, but the story yeah. completely saves this issue. It does, thankfully. And you know what? The the art is still fine. I still enjoyed a majority of this issue. There was just mm -hmm. the, the few weird spots, but the yeah. story's fantastic. And I love this this whole concept of Dracula having to hide who he is, and he becomes friends with people, and he he learns about their the way they work, and he still kills a few people because he still needs to right. survive but when someone comes to his aid he respects that person right and he is given the quote protection and friendship of dracula but it's also with the caveat that until everybody's a vampire type of uh for whatever reason that's his end game at least in this issue um 
Right. Yeah. That was. I thought that was kind of strange because he's never his really new talked order. about that before. Well, you know, and they've referenced it in 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 the Blade films where you know they keep humans in almost like stasis blood bank type things, and that's how they'll be able to keep feeding. Because if Dracula dreams of a world of just vampires, what are they going to eat? <laughs> right, exactly. It, you know, it, it's it's a fascinating concept, and I know there's been other movies that have kind of dealt with that, uh, but I don't know, what do you do then? I feel like you, you lose the hunt, you know, the thrill of the hunt that clearly these things like to do, and yeah, it's a, it's a weird, I don't know, it's a weird thing to want as Dracula. It is, yep. I do love the sequence where, you know, the unconscious form of Dracula is brought to a church and he just slowly wakes up and he just has crucifixes all over him and he's just pinballing all around the church from, you know, trying to get free. I I think that's really cool. Just freaking out. I also like the fact that to hide his identity, he takes the name Drake. Yes. Yeah, I thought that was interesting as well because... Clearly, we know Frank Drake, but you know, I wonder if he's used that alias in the past, or if he did that purposely because he knows his ancestor changed it. Yeah. So we get to uh, this, this seems like a standalone issue, but we actually find out more of the story um, coming up soon he, when he faces the attackers who threw him into the sea. Yeah, that is really cool. That's coming up soon, um, but that was. Uh, yeah, exactly. This we see these bikers again, and it, you know, it's Dracula hasn't forgotten after the end yeah. of this issue, which I think is really, really cool. Yep, very good. Well, you want to take us through right. the next one? This is a big one. Issue ten. This is probably this is probably worth more than Tomb of Dracula number one, as far as yep. you know, collector status goes. This is so. uh, this is uh, the Tomb of Dracula number ten. The first appearance of Blade um, in a story titled His Name is Blade. I should also actually mention last issue is the book is now monthly. Right, yes. So it was bi-monthly up to issue 9, and now it's it's monthly going forward. So sales must have been doing just fine. Yep, that's a, that's a, that's a good sign of a good, healthy book. Yes. Um, so Blade, uh, we, we get... You know, what is something of an iconic cover for, again, for collectors of key issues? Because we got, you know, a nice prominent picture of Blade right on the cover, uh, complete with his green pants and green shades (laughs) (laughs) and uh, wooden knives. But uh, basically, um, he butts heads. He's fighting vampires on his own, and he ends up butting heads with, with Quincy Harker saying basically how he prefers to do things his own way. So we get a little bit of sense of history between Blade and Quincy and his band of uh, vampire hunters. And then basically we have this sequence where Dracula is on a cruise ship. And um, his he, I guess he's planning on turning or at least controlling the people on this ship who are numbered among like the world's elite it seems yeah kind of people in power of some sort so he feels you know that that this makes a little bit more sense for uh, a diabolical plan is that he'll have a bunch of people in his control 
you know, controlling the world, basically. Uh, but Blade interferes. He blows the ship up. And, uh, you know, he got everybody clear, except for one person who we haven't really talked about much. But uh, Clifton Graves, who was enslaved by Dracula several issues ago and has been kind of a weird sniveling toady. Um, he showed up in this issue long enough for him to get blowed up. Yeah. So that's the end of Clifton Graves. Although in this issue, they call him Clifford Graves. So it's another weird little typo or misstep. Oh, yeah. I didn't notice that. That's that's right. <laughs> well, I think this is a, a different letterer. Is this a different letter than before? Let me see. Right, uh, it's it's Vlad, D. Vladimir. Never heard of him. Huh. So that would be Dracula's real name, I think. Yes. So, <laughs> so, so they'll that that tells me that this is probably inked by a number of different people. <laughs> it, it could be. It it is definitely a. Uh, it's it's a it's a very simplistic inking style. Um, um, no, the, the probably... lettering. The lettering is. Oh, I'm sorry. The lettering. Yeah. Yeah, and you can tell because the the letters on the splash page are definitely different than when you get into let's say page. Um, page one, uh, two sixteen at the end. Right. Just the yep. style is different. So, um, because they used a fake name, yeah, a couple people. So I guess I'm guessing that the letterist, the letterer, wasn't aware of Clifton's actual name, and so just made the mistake. All I could think of is the big red dog. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't have too much more on this issue. It is a. It is a. A, a nice introduction to who has become a major Hollywood megastar of a character. What do you think of him? I honestly, I really think it would be cool to see a a straight adaptation of uh, you know a seventies Tomb of Dracula because this version of Blade, his original version. I mean, it screams that black exploitation era of the early seventies yep. in, in Hollywood. It really does, um, like the disco can, era. Very, very shaft esque. Yep. You know, you can uh, you, you get that vibe, and I, um, you know, it's it's a far cry from what they reinvented him for the movies. But for some reason, this character just doesn't seem to be able to last long enough in either his own series or, I mean, it's uh, what a couple of miniseries he's had over all these years and some guest appearances, but they just can't seem to do anything with Blade. And yet he's a fan favorite. <laughs> well, I think that's is a cult favorite because he hasn't had the long running titles. I think he's on the Avengers right now, so <laughs> he'll get oh, some. Oh, is he? He'll get some notoriety oh. at that. All right. That. Well, yeah. good for him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's, he's an Avenger. All right. Um, but yeah, this this version of Blade is interesting because he doesn't he doesn't uh, he's not the same sort of very cynical and cool talking like trench coat wearing guy that we are like Wesley Snipes that we're, we're that we know right. him and every writer since those blade movies has modeled their blade after Wesley Snipes and this is just such a far cry from it well and my question is because i haven't read all of these other appearances of blade did they ever explain that change because I, I tell you, that drives me nuts when they when comics change because of a movie, because you know the bluey version has all those tattoos. You know he he you know there's no talk of him in here as being a daywalker, no you know, having no, to no. drink uh, serum or anything like that. Although it's probably teased because we do eventually get his origin in a, a couple of issues here, but uh, 
yeah, this is this is definitely. I'm, I'm just curious if they went from this to all of a sudden black trench coat. I know he no. was on the '90s Spider-Man cartoon for right. a few, um, and he looked a little bit more like the movie version before there. You know, before there was a movie version. Yeah, so I think it was a little gradual like that. I mean, this once the 70s ends, you're going to get rid of the fro and you'll get rid of the the glasses and and mm. so it it'll go through he'll go through a gradual change here, but he uh yeah, he's also not as effective in these issues. He seems like he's been hunting vampires and in particular the one who's who killed his mom for a very long time. But he mm-hmm. still seems pretty green, like he makes mistakes and uh, gets himself in trouble. And in a future right. issue, he just, like, he's he's not good at all. <laughs> well, and that's that's part of it. I mean, he's so all about doing this on his own, and that's clearly, you know, causing him to probably make those mistakes because he's, I mean, he's just got a bunch of wooden knives, for God's sakes. That's, that's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're made of teak wood. Which is a very, oh, okay. very hard wood. Gotcha. All right. Um, one of the hardest woods. And so I guess that makes for a way more effective stake. Yeah. Not as long a reach as a sword, though. No, no, but you can throw them <laughs> if, you're good, if you're a good knife thrower. Right, right. Now, uh, Frank and Rachel are not in this issue at all. And if mm-hmm. I were reading this in the 70s, not knowing, like, I, I, Blade's a brand new character. So I would be like, why are they using this Blade character, this new character, when they could easily have Frank and Rachel doing the exact same thing? Right. It just doesn't make sense to me. I would be like, why? It would be, yeah. yeah it would, if, now, on the flip side of that, if this was the issue you picked up, you would pick up the next issue and be like, where's Blade? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but, and it's, it's, the matters are confused even more because Harker is here. In this issue, and Edith, like, they are working with Blade. And so it's right. like, well, where's Frank? Right. Well, and again, I think Wolfman is still kind of figuring out a couple, you know, laying a, some groundwork for some some interesting play amongst his characters uh, coming up. Um, so this this was, uh, again, this was like a Dracula-based issue, but we, we have a totally different, you know, uh, vampire hunter going after him. I'm just curious, like I said, you know, his longevity itself within this series and what the fan response was, if there was anything. Um, but it's it's still, it's another multicultural type of character. I mean, I'm assuming he's American, but, you know, it's an African-American character. So we haven't seen that. That's One true. of the rare yeah. heroes uh, of color during this time period. So... Adding to the multicultural cast. Exactly. And it's just a shame that, you know, he didn't become more prominent prior to Wesley Snipes. But Or after Wesley Snipes, even. Like, yeah, the movies that's, that's didn't true really too. do anything for Blade. It's, it's so weird. It's so weird. But, hey, Marvel is doing a new Blade for either a movie or a series on Disney+. Plus. So Perfect. Maybe, maybe that'll do something with it. Let's hope so. Okay, should we go on to number 11? Yeah. This is called The Voodoo Man. Um, this That last issue and this issue are both inked by Jack Abel. So they have, a, a again, a different feel that I think more closely reflects Gene Colan's original pencils. Uh, not yeah, it's, as a, good as Tom it's, a, it's a simplistic, smooth kind of... Uh, it is defined. Yeah. It's not as nuanced as, uh, as Tom Palmer does. 
So this is a ridiculous issue here, this one. Uh, okay, so Dracula's hunting the mob that beat him and left him in the in the ocean. And only to find them that, that they, they are working for someone who... he He's in an iron lung and has robot arms out, that, out of the iron lung that he can control. And he, he kills people by voodoo that he's holding in his robotic arms. It just seems so ridiculous. <laughs> We're in the seventies here, people. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it's still good. I mean, it's a. What I like about this one is that Dracula is a detective in this story, mm-hmm. and he puts all the pieces together and looks for information. And he's actually um, a really good detective, uh, and and finds finds this guy who's killing by voodoo, and and mm-hmm. it's it just feels like a nice throwback horror story to something from the 50s, I think. Uh, I agree, especially with Voodoo. Voodoo was such a, a, you know, they used that concept a lot, like 30s, 40s, and 50s, because it was always so mysterious, nobody understood it. Um, and uh, I did, I, what's interesting is the the old man in the robotic iron lung, his name is Jason Faust, which of course plays up, you know, with the name Faust of yeah. the uh, was it the man that sold his soul to the devil for power? Right, right. Um, and this guy kind of uh, you know got his voodoo abilities from uh, this character called Moladawi the Hexman. <laughs> and uh, I wrote that down because I think that is so cool. I think his design is cool. Um, again, I think man, I'd like to have seen an issue of Doctor Strange where he fought this guy. Um, it just would have been fun. I know we got brother voodoo floating around Marvel either now or soon. Yeah, somewhere time, uh, somewhere around here. Yeah. So I, I I've been curious if there was some sort of you know connection, yeah. uh, but it doesn't have to be. I think the depiction of tribal Africa is something that's probably not aged as well either, especially with just the stereotypes of uh, surrounding voodoo itself. Right. Uh, but that's minor in this issue. Yeah, it's just part of the flashback to this guy in the iron lung. Yeah, um, yeah this is just kind of a, a one-off story. It's got a really nice ending to it, especially because um, yeah. the, the, it's like a... What I love about the old EC stories is that the guy, the person who is the main character, gets undone with by what they're trying to do and has to spend yep. some sort of period of torment because of their actions. And that's what this guy has at the end because his caretaker is going to uh kill him put him out of his misery but instead gets killed mm-hmm. um by the guy's own voodoo dies and the guy is trapped in his iron lung and can't move he can't do anything there's no one that can hear him scream he's trapped in his iron lung for the rest of his life well this is he he turns him into a vampire Oh right, um, yeah, and then the oh yeah yeah. And then, now the, I remember and then the sun, and then the and then the sun is starting to filter through, um, so he has to just sit there and wait to be turned into ash, basically. But that that brings me to my biggest problem with this whole issue, as goofy as as it is on the surface, is that final panel. He's a vampire. We should not be seeing his reflection. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, so that's a mistake. Yeah, unless they're just catching it right as he's turning, but uh, I mean, you could. It looks like he's got fangs. It looks like he's already turned. Yeah, I guess they need to do that so that he knows that he's a vampire to indicate that he knows of his own transformation. What's what's going to happen? Yeah, it's very that's very possible. Um, 
backing up to page 235, one of the best single panels, like we've mentioned in a couple others, I love the final panel here on page 235 of just... I mean that's that's tattoo worthy. I could see that you know <laughs> being being put on someone's arm or something. That just looks great. Well, they used it on the spine of this book. Oh, did they? Well, look at that. Yep, that's awesome. Well, I guess I'm not the only one that thought that was a good picture. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, and in my uh, my kill count, this is the deadliest issue. Uh, oh. We have five people killed in this issue. Okay. Which again, for one comic to have five people die, <laughs> it's kind of, kind of crazy. It uh, is, yeah. Uh, Faust and his uh, and his motorcycle gang they kill two. Dracula kills one. Faust and Brand both become vampires and they're both killed. So <laughs> wow, five dead. Ha! Huh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see. Um, if, I'll have to see if any volume two issue beats that. Although, how yeah, many people I'm... blew up in that ship? Uh, well, they said that they all got free. They all got I'm out except for sure. Clifton. Yeah, except for, for good old Clifton. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay. And I did actually, one other thing with this issue, um, I had to go back and, and put this note in because I remembered it, was this is our first reference on page 221 of the Dracula Lives magazine. Right, right. Where uh, Dracula just reminisces. He says, long ago I abandoned the notion of seeking mortality. And the little editor's note by Roy Thomas, Dracula lives number one. So that's confirming at least the Dracula stories are in continuity. In continuity, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's very clever. I like that. I like that. And I like that they, I mean, they waited until issue 11 to include a reference. Um, Of course, but... uh, but that's Regardless, probably when I think it's, if they probably waited till then because the that issue probably just came out around this time. I would. Imagine. Yeah, you're right. The yeah, it says first issue was 1973. So yeah, so uh, well, good. So then, right from the get go, they must have planned on having some cross, uh, some sort of cross pollination. So that's good. They probably did that because once they realized this book was really popular, they changed it to monthly and they launched the magazine at the same time, and uh, and they're like, yeah, we might as well make it then, all work together. We're Marvel. And then they. And then when they reference it in here, then, you know, kids who probably can't buy the black and white magazine probably bug their dads to buy it for themselves <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that they can read it, or their older brothers, maybe. Totally. Okay, let's All keep right. on going on here. Uh, yes. Issue number 12. Uh, this is called Night of the Screaming House. We're back to kind of our traditional formula of Quincy, Rachel, Taj, and Frank uh, going after with these vampire hunters in uh, an old creepy house that's known as Whispering Hell. Um, he also calls Blade to join in on the fun, who shows up right as Dracula escapes and uh, in a very uh, kind of a shocking twist ending where we're left with uh, Edith, who is now a vampire. Yeah. So he turned Edith and kind of leaves her to her father. Um, this was this was a, a particularly good issue. I think this is where Wolfman was starting to really, uh, you know, get going on all cylinders here. So where does Edith get kidnapped? Does it say in... Edith is grabbed on issue 243, uh, right when Dracula... He backhands Frank, and then he grabs her and flies off. Turns into right, a giant right. bat, um, and uh, you know they're just like, "All right, well, we're gonna have to get her." 
but I don't know if we see her actually get turned. That's and I think that's part of the that's part of the shock. The no, shock. This, yeah, this was brilliant. I, I just this was definitely uh, a fantastic issue after a couple of just kind of um, like they were good fill-in issues. Right. But it's nice to have the team back. Mm-hmm. And I like that they've brought Blade into it. And I don't know. I, I doubt that Wolfman would have had enough time to gauge fan reaction on Blade's character at this point. Yeah, just two issues, probably not. I think it usually takes like because the letters what are usually three issues behind. Yeah. So he his plan, I guess, the whole time was to have Blade be part of the team, which was unexpected to me because I kind of thought that Blade was a one-off character in Tomb of Dracula. I didn't realize he played a bigger role. So that's really cool to see. Yeah, I I personally, yeah, I really like that a lot because his person because the way Blade is is so against this whole notion of a team, and he's kind of actually he's he's kind of reminiscent of Wolverine with how Wolverine is always that lone wolf type character the reluctant joiner of a team yep. type of uh, type of guy. And, uh, you know, every every action team needs that, that character, I think. Tom Palmer's back on inks, which is always nice to see. So that's, uh, that's really yes. cool. Um, there's yeah, the one... it's a welcome. Yeah, it, and, it's, and he'll stay on for the rest of this book, I believe. Um, I don't know. If, I'm sure he takes breaks throughout the series at some point. Uh, so at the beginning when... When Harker calls on Blade, Blade is with the woman Saffron. Right. And I wasn't sure if this is supposed to be a wife or a girlfriend. There on on panel on the on page two forty six on the bottom panel where she stops him from picking up the phone. You can see a ring on her wedding finger. Oh yeah. But they don't act like they're husband and wife. No, this definitely feels more like, uh, you know, I I feel like Blade's not the type of character that would be getting himself bogged down. I I think he's definitely, you know, probably has girlfriends in every town type of guy. And that's Um, what this feels like is like they're they're just having a a fun night together or something like that. And he walks out on her, which makes her furious and throws uh, one of those super strong wooden knives through through the door. Yep. Um, so yeah. So I don't think uh, he's going to be allowed back there anytime soon. Yeah. So I don't know much about Blade's history. So I, I wonder if Saffron is a character that regularly appears, or if she's just a one-off for this book here. Well, I liked that that first panel of Saffron because this is this has got to be Saffron's apartment um, rather than Blade's apartment. Right. And I mean, look at the detail put in there with the the different designs on the pillows, the the very large bookshelf. We have like a weird little, you know, uh, cat tchotchke on the uh, coffee table there. Uh, I I like little touches like that. I think that that's very, uh, and it looks like, what is he on? Is he on a bed that's attached to chains hanging from the ceiling? I think he is. A swinging swinging bed? (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a little bit of uh, an innuendo there. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Exactly what that that is. And and then even with him saying... uh, you know, he goes, something tells me half an hour is going to be plenty of time. I mean, this is right, just dripping yep. with innuendo. Yep. <laughs> we know what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I liked the, uh, in the beginning with their little battle with uh, Dracula. I love how Taj just jumps on Dracula as he turns into a giant bat. He's just flying around with Taj, just hanging on for dear life. 
It's a reverse from when they were in the demon world where Taj was being dragged around by Dracula. Right. Yeah, right. Um, and again, you know, he's, he, you know, they refer to him as mute, so he doesn't yell or say a word to the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and at the very end, tragic ending. Oh, yes. Very tragic as Harker is forced to kill his own daughter. Brutal. Yeah. And and the the decision to make the – we don't see the killing stroke. We don't see that moment, but we see it on her face instead. Yeah. And it's that, yeah. that stark black and white with red. Uh, like the flash wow. of pain. Yeah, yeah, so well done, and Very it's, well it's done. so subtle. But yeah, they did a, and you feel his anguish in the next panel. There's no words there. You just see him completely. I can't believe I did that. And even though his eyes are covered with the sunglasses, you can still tell. Like it's such a yeah. really great, a great scene. This whole page, this last page, is fantastic. Yeah, and I mean, you know, there's a lot of shock value here. So hopefully, the folks that are listening to this read this already, uh, because this is. Um, this this was a really good issue for that shock value. Yep, definitely. <clears throat> oh, and moving on to issue thirteen. Yes. To kill a vampire, Blade officially joins the team after hey, they have a little bit of an argument here, um, which is cool. So we now have our fully formed team for a little while at least, mm-hmm. and they face off against Dracula in a small town. And at the end of this issue, pause this podcast if you haven't listened yet. <laughs> Blade kills Dracula with one of his yes. teeth knives. Yes, he does. There are so many large panels in this issue. Um, if you just flip through the pages, uh-huh. it's this is unusual for comics in the 70s to only have three panels on a page. But right. there are a few pages here where where it's broken down to only four, th- three, four, or five panels. And which means the artwork really, really shines, uh, and it, maybe it means that there's not as much story. Which I, there isn't as much story in this issue, but <laughs> but it's just fantastic the way they lay it out. And this is the issue where we get Blade's backstory. Yes, we find out about his mother, how she was giving birth to him, and uh, it is it's 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 not said if. She gave birth and then she got turned to a vampire, or if mm-hmm. he, he uh, turned her into a vampire and then she gave birth. Well, uh, uh, yeah, the, a vampire came knocking when she was in the in the middle of giving birth, and it's revealed he's a vampire um, in a very very creepy image on two sixty eight there uh, yeah. when he, his fangs are flashing in the in the light. I am assuming this is Deacon Frost, who was. In the first movie of Blade, that's played by Stephen Dorff. That was the vampire that ki- that turned, basically right. uh, took care of his mother and everything. Yep. And I'm pretty sure that is going to be revealed to be him because he looks – for whatever reason, I remember the uh, official handbook of the Marvel Universe, Deacon Frost image. And he looked like a bearded white man with a, with this type of jacket. So okay. uh, I'm, I'm assuming that's who that's going to be, but we don't get confirmation, at least in this – collection um yeah i like the uh i did want to mention the cover for this one is probably my second favorite cover in this whole collection um it's just great because we get all four of our main characters and dracula right in the middle of it but no frank Um, oh yeah you're right there's no frank well 
There's no room for Frank. Close enough, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a great shot looking down, and you can see everybody's ready to kill him. It doesn't happen at all in the no, comic, no, it but it's a good cover. Some more false advertising, but it's just cool seeing seeing our, our main crew on there. Yeah. Um, and I liked uh, Blade and Frank button heads um, on 261, where he even even uh, you know tells Frank that he's probably uh playing both sides because he's related to him and i mean he's just a jab and he doesn't really mean it but uh, i like that i like that back and forth because edith was killed or was turned and then had to be killed and everybody's at each other's throats it's a very human reaction yeah to a tragedy um you know everybody's gonna blame themselves type of deal i really liked page 263 panel three we have dracula's getting ready to feast again and he just slices that dude's throat open with his fingernail and it's splashed with red i mean that's kind of gory i'm surprised they got away with that uh i love that scene that is just so well done and then the other scene right below it where he takes the woman into uh-huh. the dark alley and you just hear a scream. Yeah. And it's that not seeing it is – this is a perfect example of it being that much more terrifying than seeing it. Yes. Because uh, you, you you pretty much know what happened, but you don't because we don't see it. I do also like his his commentary about boxing. Uh, Dracula went to a boxing match. Yeah. and. That was kind of interesting. That's got to be all Marv Wolfman just wanting to do a little social commentary, uh, I'm sure. But um, yeah, he—it's just very cool how he talks about how it how it disgusts and revolts him because it's just such a waste. And uh, you know, coming from a character of Dracula who wastes people constantly, um, it's kind of interesting. And what's really funny is when I was writing the notes to this issue, Rocky Three was on in the background. <laughs> Yeah. So I had a, I had some yeah. uh, real life uh, fighting sound effects in the background for that scene. What what year was Rocky the first one? The first Rocky was seventy six. Okay, so this seventy five, seventy six, a little before that. But boxing yeah. was still like yeah, a huge deal. Muhammad Ali and whatever. Yep, yep, definitely. Yeah, my only other note really with this one, aside from you know that crazy ending with you know Dracula getting killed uh by blade which is in itself a, a giant shock was right prior to that during this scuffle dracula just throws taj right out the window we see him hit a river but the notes kind of the uh the captions kind of say that he plummeted to his doom so we don't really know that he is alive or dead yeah i wonder what's going on there they there's definitely some miscommunication with the yeah, words. that could have that could have been one of those situations, um, but it's it's definitely a cliffhanger of sorts. So he, this this issue is one that I was like, Blade is all talk because he's defeated really easily by Dracula mm-hmm. in this issue, and I know he kills Dracula at the end of this issue, but um, it's almost by like it's only because he snuck up on him. <laughs> yeah, it's almost yeah, it's almost like a almost accidental, but I mean he's. He's clobbered on the floor, and then all of a sudden, again, we don't see it. It's off panel, but, you know, he gets him with the knife. Yep. And he looks just as uh, shocked and surprised that he did it as anybody else. Well, should we go on to issue number 14? Yes. Uh, Tomb of Dracula number 14, titled Dracula is Dead. We uh, we open up with, right again, right where the last issue ended with uh, our vampire hunters over the, the body of Dracula. Um, there's a mob of mind-controlled villagers. 
that ransack where they are and take Dracula's body um, before they get a chance to sever the head, which is specifically mentioned by Quincy Harker, um, that we have to cut the head off. Well, the villagers take the body out of there, and then as the body withers away and turns into a skeleton, the villagers' mind control evaporates. So they just drop the body and, and walk away. <laughs> um, the body is later found by a down-on-his-luck. Uh, is this guy a priest? Would that be a priest? Yes. This yep. guy? Okay. Uh, Josiah Dawn we're introduced to. A uh, guy questioning his faith and uh, looks to be kind of – Kind of one of those types of priests that you'd you'd find kind of in the deep south, where he's really, uh, you know, kind of a Bible thumper. Yeah. Well, um, I guess a preacher, technically not not a yeah. priest. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So he's yeah he's yeah he's more like that, and he's trying to you know he brandishes brandishes himself as the revivalist. He's trying to showcase you know the Lord's powers through himself to his followers um, during his sermon. He gives a gives a powerful sermon where he plans on resurrecting Dracula's body and then to destroy it to showcase the vanquishing of evil. At least that's how I understood this particular story. Yeah, I think he uh, uh, realized he realized that Dracula was there. He realized what he could do and, and trick people into making it seem like he was the real deal, which is definitely common commentary on a lot of uh, this, this style of preacher. Right. Yes, this is uh yeah, we've seen this story play out in a bunch of different ways in other media, yep. um including probably other comics, but he must have known that he would have been able to resurrect Dracula, or he wouldn't have advertised himself. Right. Oh, you know, I think he fully, so, he fully knew what he was going to do. He His knew plan, what that was. But he also knew how to kill Dracula or he thought he did. Right. And he even saw the finding of Dracula's body as a as a sign from God. So Again, there's probably some commentary here by Wolfman um, towards some of that that stuff. Yeah, yeah, that obviously ends badly for him. That uh, he resurrects him, but then Dracula pretty much overpowers him. Well, pretty. no, he's struck by lightning. He's struck by lightning that Dracula controlled. That Dracula controlled. Yeah. So another one of his powers is the control of storms. Yeah. Which again, ultimate supervillain we're talking I, about here. I did not even know that that was part of. Uh, I, I mean, I knew about the controlling <laughs> the rodents and that kind of thing, but yeah, this was uh, totally out of left field. I didn't know he could do that. Yeah, they don't they they don't use it that often because it's I don't know. It's just one of those things where it's like, well, how how powerful is this guy? This is another instance of Dracula taking the A story, at least for the second half of the issue. Yeah. And Frank and company like slowly becoming secondary characters throughout the issue. Like they're, they're the focus at the beginning, but they're mm -hmm. not the focus at the end. Yeah, it's very uh, they 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 go back and forth very nicely because again, it's Dracula's name on the on the cover, so it's he is usually used quite effectively, even despite antagonist or protagonist. Yeah, and that's that's actually a problem because we're playing this cat and mouse game that we know will mm -hmm. never be accomplished because he's the title character. Well, that's correct. And and then it's also like, well, fans of the book probably, I don't know, do, do they do they even want to see Dracula killed? Well, uh, we got probably... to see Dracula killed in this one, but it didn't stick. So it's like, right. well, yeah, it, it lessens the blow of any of this kind of stuff because it's like, well, this is Dracula's book. He's not going to die. Uh, or if he does die, True. he's going to come back the next issue. And so I think <laughs> the people who um, 
I don't know how this story plays out. I don't know if Frank and company stick around, but eventually yeah. I would think that they are written out of the story so that it can be the ongoing adventures of Dracula. I guess we'll wait and find out. We yeah, will I, wait and find I'm out. interested in seeing that. A couple of notes here. I loved this again. Love the splash panel here, but specifically, this is on 280. The face of Dracula. With <laughs> yeah, that, it's almost face. it's it's almost comical because it, it's like I don't know. It's like what you'd see in a in a cartoon of somebody who died. <laughs> a bad death one scene. eye is yeah one eye is wide open. He's got a grin almost on his face. The other eye is shut. It's just really goofy looking. And I loved the caption about how his body was rotting away so the the mind control went away but they specifically said how his his brain rotted and fell to waste oh, what yeah. a what a cool way to to you don't have to i mean you visualize that instantly when you use that something we haven't mentioned because this has been in another issue is the subplot with Dr. Sun I was going to bring who, that up too yeah, we don't know anything about this guy other than he keeps sending his followers to get deceased vampire bodies, I guess. Yeah, and Professor Morgo is the other one. Oh, and okay. These are definitely um, more of those stereotypes that we're talking about. Right. And yeah, we don't get to see their plot at all. We have no idea what they are up to. It's really just a, a tiny little thing that I'm, I'm assuming will be dealt with in Volume 2. Uh, that's what I'm assuming. I, I've heard Dr. Sun as being a character that also crosses over into the main Marvel Universe as well, but I don't remember how or where or when. So <laughs> um, I'm curious to see this subplot come uh, into fruition here uh, with our further readings. Finally, my other note, Taj is alive. We see him get out of the river, so that's kind of a there and gone. Yep. But I really liked on page 290 the shot of the vampire hunters who are basically bored after a few days of not doing anything. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I like how Quincy and Rachel are playing chess. It's always such a an instant way to, sh you know, you got people who, like you said, cat and mouse game, well, here they are playing chess that, you know, kind of like the whole Xavier and uh, Magneto always playing chess in the movies. Right. Kind of has an iconography to it. And Blade's watching because he doesn't know how to play chess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got to have his shades <laughs> off to understand it. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's pretty much fourteen. I think we're on to the final issue that we're going to talk about. Yeah, and this one, issue fifteen, is called the. Uh, it's called Fear is the name of the game. Great splash page with a um, statue of I. Yes. I don't even know which statue this is. I'm assuming it's a, a landmark in London with a Big Ben in behind. It almost looks like he's got a a Hermes uh, like the winged helmet. I wonder if that's supposed to be a Greek god or something. Oh yeah, that could be. It's possible. I can't. I, but I'm sure you're right. I'm sure it's actually right from London. So someone will probably fill us in on that. Yeah, let us know in the comments on Facebook or something. In this issue, Dracula recounts four stories from his past. This is a uh, quite an interesting issue because they cram four little mini stories into mm -hmm. like it's full into one issue and these are stories that i think should have probably maybe been in the dracula lives uh magazine because they're from the past so it doesn't quite fit with what we've been mm -hmm. talking about here except for this one story about uh dracula's first encounter with quincy harker 
So, of course, that fits in with this one. But the other stories involve mm-hmm. a hunter that shoots him when he is in his bat form. Another one where Dracula turns a woman whose husband tried to kill her so that she can have revenge. And then another one where an old man takes Dracula to a pool of blood that's supposed to grant immortality. And Dracula is all writing these stories in his diary or something. Yes. Yes, this uh, this was my favorite issue of this collection. Nice, yeah. I loved this. I thought this, I, I thought this was great. Um, yes. This is an all Dracula issue, and I loved these little stories that he's talking about because they don't need to be really fleshed out and they're cool little, like, you can almost see these as being, like, little Tales from the Crypt, you know, EC stories. Totally. yeah. Just little um, vignettes. Es- yes, especially the one with the, uh, the the wife that he turned into a vampire to go get revenge on her husband. Right. Uh, it's so cool. I, I love that. I also really, really like this cover. This is my favorite cover also of this collection because it feels like... You know, with that sequence and then seeing the result that he he actually killed a vampire, I don't know. It just screams like those old monster books from the 50s that Kirby and Ditko would do where they would show (laughs) some sort of, you know, uh, transformation happening, you know, the Martian or whatever it might be. I I really like that. We see the rat trick again uh, when he talks about the... Uh, he sicked the rats on the hunter, but then he switched it to wolves. Um, yeah. So that, I don't think we saw him controlling wolves yet. No, no, we haven't. That was the first time. So, so that was kind of cool, and just turning the, the hunter into the hunted, uh, which is always always a fun little turn of events. Um, the pool of blood. What did you think of that? You know, I was going to mention this too. The, that seemed a little out of place compared to the other more grounded stories. Uh, I mean, in terms of the right. whole book, the pool of blood doesn't seem out of place with like the black mirror and and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But in the context of this one singular issue, that was the story that stuck out as one that probably I could have done without. It was a little bit more really going into some sort of supernatural realm. There's no explanation. Um, I liked it just because, again, it's a cool image. Um, yep. But uh, again, reading this in the greater scope of the the marvel universe do you think tyrannus or mole man knew about this thing because wasn't uh wasn't tyrannus uh, all about for you know he's from the roman empire prolonging his life i mean yeah, this yeah, seems yeah. very in in uh well in he had with his, his uh, mo but he had his territory that he didn't really go from because his right. territory had the fountain of youth so he didn't need to explore any further this is kind of like a lazarus pit right there's a little bit of a of a precedent set because Marvel has over the years, over the decades, constantly, you know, built up their subterranean world. So I would be curious if they ever mentioned this thing ever again, or if this was a, you know, shuffled away into the Tomb of Dracula past and nobody remembers it. <laughs> but uh, I would bring it back somehow if I was a, if I was a writer. Uh, they'd have to figure. Didn't get destroyed in this issue though, so they'd have to figure out how to bring it back. It did, but they also don't say what the source of it was. So I feel like, I feel like there'd be more of it somewhere. I mean, it'd be pretty easy to bring it back, find another vein of it deeper down or something. I don't <laughs> I know. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, this was the thing I was telling you about, where there's a major retcon by Wolfman. Okay. To the events of issue one, um, and that is specifically this storyline with the Scotsman, who was a vampire hunter. That was trained by Quincy Harker, and this takes place in 1969. 
which oh, they specifically right. yeah you know they specifically mentioned that so this takes place three years prior to the events if it's done in real time to issue one um where in issue one we were led to believe that he died in that coffin a hundred years at ago. the hands of van helsing a hundred years ago exactly right, yeah so he goes in to change that that turn of events where we see Dracula does get the stake through the heart. The Scotsman uh, gets thrown off the balcony to his death, and then Dracula says he he must die in his to- in his tomb, and that's where that's why he gets into that tomb, and that's where he dies. Huh. So, I I thought that was kind of interesting because again, it's a it's a pretty major retcon to what was going on before. That is yes, which opens up possibilities that of stories for Dracula in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Well, I guess unless he was dead back yeah. then too, <laughs> or maybe he just doesn't remember those times. I don't know. Uh, it's if his, possible if his brain turns to dust every single time he dies and then <laughs> comes back. Maybe he's just uh, lost a few of his memories. I I like the idea of this. I I still think I prefer the idea of Dracula being dead for a hundred years. But right. then the concept of him being walking around in the sixties is kind of interesting as well. But yeah, I thought that that was again. This this is my favorite issue in this collection, just because it's so many different interesting things being thrown at you. Right. But I'm yeah. curious what what comes after this for sure. Yeah, and so. <laughs> I uh, the next time you'll be on the show is when we talk about volume two. Unless I we pull out something sooner, we might do like a uh, we we were talking about maybe pulling out Avengers West Coast or something like that. And uh, sure. but I I don't know if I want to wait until Hall- next Halloween <laughs> to read volume two. Uh, I know. Well, Dracula is always in season in my house. So <laughs> yeah, cool. this has been great. I, I I'm glad that you joined me for this because it has been um, a great conversation. Um, a lot of fun going through these stories and picking them apart. And uh, oh yeah, well, just this this book is excellent. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes next. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. I think we need to call it though because we've been going on for quite a long time. This is going to be a long episode. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> we'll see everybody in the next episode. All right. Bye. Thanks, Curtis. <laughs> <laughs>